Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of King of Pro Wrestling. Uh, we are here this week. We got a lot of stuff, so we're just going to dive right in. I think the first thing that we want to do is uh, thank everyone for their feedback, whether it was on Reddit or Twitter or iTunes. Um, we, we've already gotten uh, a lot of really nice feedback, and we really appreciate that. Um, got some excellent sort of notes uh, about thing, everything from you know pronunciation to audio stuff, uh, etc. Yeah, uh, and I'm still going to butcher the pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> and it's less to do with the pronunciation. Is it's my awful accent makes some of these things impossible for me to say, but I will try to improve. Absolutely, we're all about we're all about that. You know, we just we, we want to get better. Um, so we certainly uh, appreciate any of those um, notes that anyone has. I mean, we're we're not here to try to be snobs and, and think that we're better than anybody or anything like that. So um, I certainly want to give a shout out to Zoidberg Zero. Uh, on Reddit, on the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling subreddit. Uh, like I said, he had uh, some really great notes for us, and we really appreciated it. Um, and, and certainly, he's interested in hearing all New Japan all the time. Uh, and we're going to try to keep to that, especially with this episode. We're not covering anything but New Japan. Um, so we certainly appreciate that. Uh, we also have to mention the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling US blog. It's... Um, at NJPWUS is the Twitter handle, um, and uh, Wilfred is a great guy. Uh, he, he's engaged us in some really excellent dialogue and has just been extremely prolific in the past couple of weeks with blog posts. And the great thing is is that they're, they're not super long, but they're, they're very incisive. So it's just some great dialogue that he's created and generated about a lot of stuff that's going on in New Japan right now, as well as stuff that um, has just happened. So I think it's it's the perfect kind of blog for somebody who's just getting started. A really great way to get up to speed. And you know, of course, it's you know they're just his opinions. But uh, we've really enjoyed the dialogue that we've had with him so far. Uh, I'll tell you what, too. When he you know sent us the tweet to check out his blog, I couldn't believe when I when I clicked on it how professional looking it was. Yeah, like, I thought it was just you know be a fan blog and everything. It was it's super well done. And like you said, they're his opinions, but he puts them out there. He doesn't go into super long articles. He gives us his opinions. He gives some facts. It's, it's great. You can read them on the go. Just well done site. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, he's actually got a, a really great one that he just dropped uh, talking about the uh, Naito and Suzuki match. And he is speculating that um, the, be, we haven't seen quite as much of the build. And I would certainly argue that that's partially because the match doesn't happen for a little bit later. And they're getting out in front instead of the, like, Jay White and Dave Finley match and the junior tag match. That said, um, y- you know, he brings up Chris Jericho and about how Jericho is probably just working the fans with all of the, we don't have a relationship right now, it was a good time, I'm, I'm no longer working with them. Um, which is, is an interesting point. I don't know... I, I don't know where I am with that. I, I Maybe part of me just wants to be shocked and surprised if he does show up, so I'm choosing to say that um, it, the relationship's definitely over and it's all I, about I Naito have, and Suzuki. I have a theory on that, but I'm going to save it because it actually plays into something later in this podcast. Awesome. I love it. Um, so, yeah, so we definitely encourage you to check out the blog. Uh, do you happen to have the – I don't have it in front of me. Do you happen to have the, um, with the web address for that? Um, no, you know what? If you give me one second, oh, I, I can bring you know it what? It's super easy. I, I'm I'm being dumb. It's just njpw-us.com. Um, and again, yeah, it's it's a really it's a really great uh, uh, blog. Apparently, he'd been doing it for a while uh, with a team of folks, and now he's uh, just gone solo and he got it started back up again. 
And, and again, I mean, it, I would say it's highly recommended. So um, we're excited again to have that dialogue with him. And uh, you should check it out. Yeah, definitely check it out. And you know what? Not only is it a great site, he's been very good to us since we started. He's tried to help us out, too. So please, if you like this show, at least pop over to his blog and check it out. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And give him a follow on Twitter as well because he posts uh, a lot of uh, related content on, on his on his Twitter, and uh, you'll find us, you know, talking with him as well. Um, so, uh, kind of wanted to just go off from there um, and talk a little bit about uh, Kitamura. Uh, at this point, it, it seems like it's almost kind of old news, even though it's really only about like what a week or so old um, that he will not be returning to New Japan. Um, now, is that definite that he's not coming back, or is it just speculated at this point? I mean, everything that I've heard is it's definite. And the, the only thing that's not definite is the reason why. Well, yeah, um, because they initially put out that he had suffered the concussion, correct? Yep. Yeah. But then I forget who reported on it earlier this week that that seemed that they were being told that was a cover story and that there was another undisclosed reason. Yeah. Uh, and And it's so difficult to decipher what it all means, and I don't want to speculate too much um but there's definitely been some theories thrown out there some of them have been kind of wild and provocative and controversial uh but you know he was definitely injured he's been extremely silent on his twitter which doesn't necessarily mean anything but apparently he hasn't posted anything on twitter since like late february um it's too bad, you know. I, I think we were both fans of his and seeing the work that he'd been done, and it's clear that they were, you know, behind him. That that in spite of his young lion status, that they were keeping him around. They wanted, oh, he you know, was on the fast track. Yeah, I mean, not like you said, he had the young lion status. I mean, and he was going out, he was facing veterans, and he was losing all the matches. But I'm sure. telling you, they were giving him a better push as a young lion than some of the guys that aren't young lions at this point. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, like he was losing matches, but he wasn't getting dominated. He was having his moments. They gave him that best of seven show. Showcase series, or not best of seven, that seven match uh, showcase series. Like, he, you got the feeling that when that was over, he was going on excursion. You got the feeling from what you were reading, he wasn't going on excursion very long yeah. relative to other young lions. Right. And and I know that, you know, some people. So something are, big happened. I mean, yeah. Because that's not, like, the, with the investment they had put into him, that's not something you just say, okay, and cut your losses. Something happened. Right, and and whether or not it is one of those more salacious rumors that's going around, uh, or or if it is just as simple as an injury, but it's not necessarily related to the concussion, who knows? You know, um, I, I can't see it being an injury though, because if it was, even if it was a career-ending injury, they wouldn't hide. There would be more out there. Like, why would he be silent? You know right. what I mean? Like, if he had some kind of career-ending injury, or even an injury that they felt was career-ending and he didn't, he would post about it, or at least you know be out in the public a little bit like he like you said he's been off the radar they're not talking about it other than say he's he's basically done so it's got to be something other than an injury you would think right yeah yeah i i would think and i mean i don't know do we do we want to just go into some of the other rumors do we want to literally talk about them or do we want to just leave it up to other people to go look at because we don't want to be spreading rumors what do you think uh i don't i don't care i'd probably rather not spread rumors but well let's just you know what let's just talk nothing salacious anyway. Let's just talk about the theories at least. You know, we might as well. That's what we're here to do. We're here to discuss this stuff. I just don't want to put bash anybody. No, 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 no. And we're definitely not going to do that. Um, I have no interest in in doing that whatsoever. I I mean, I highly doubt Kitamore is listening to the podcast where he's going to get upset, (laughs) but still, you know. I don't want to make that guy upset. Um, 
but uh, so so okay. The the one thing that people were talking about, um, which is odd because there's not as big of a stigma behind it, was steroid abuse. Um, again, it, whether whether that is true or isn't true, I would be very surprised for them to drop him over just that. Um, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of it just because I, you know, we've seen firsthand what it can do to people's bodies. Um, you know, we, we've seen firsthand what the long-term effects can be. Um, so I would, I would hope to think that it's not any uh, sort see, of, you know, and I, and I have a that. far more lenient tolerance towards steroids. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe with the information that's out there, if, he, if somebody wants to do it, knowing the ramifications, who am I to tell them not to? And you know what? Like, who am I to say, you know, like you take professional athletes, how many baseball players have gotten caught, right? If you're a minor league player, if you're an up-and-coming wrestler, and you don't have the look, and somebody tells you you could take a bunch of steroids, jack up, and now you're going to make a ton of money and be famous, how many of us probably wouldn't make that decision? I mean, that's, that's a hard, you know what I mean? That's not as simple as a decision as, oh, it's bad for you, don't do it. I'm not saying I'm advocating steroid use. I just, I understand it, especially in that line of work. So, you know, like you said, it doesn't have the stigma that would get him completely axed from the company like that, does it? No, not in Japan, not in Japan. Um, which I mean, is, even in the U.S., it would have just been a suspension. Yeah, yeah, that's very true, or, you know, just just swept under the rug. Well, yeah, uh, depending on who you are. Yeah, right. But, you know, the the other the other thing, uh, the other rumor um, had been, and this one's the really surprising one because he's not the only one, so I wouldn't understand what would happen, but there was talk about possible Yakuza involvement um, and, and knowing that there are, there have been ties in the past and, and it's, you know, pretty who well documented. the one? Wasn't there a problem with, was it Hanma? Honma? Yes. I think he had, like, a, and they brought him back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that there were all sorts of rumors, and part of it was his gimmick, so there's no telling for sure, but there were rumors about Chono, there were, you know, there have been rumors about about other guys in the past and in the company, and I mean, going all the way back to Ricky Dozan, and unfortunately we know how that turned out, but, you know, it's not like, again, it's not, it's not quite the same stigma, I suppose, and that it would be if, you know, if all of a sudden we found out that Randy Orton had ties to organized crime in, in well, the United States. Not, so. not that I fancy myself an expert on Japanese culture, but I do know that I think is in the West we're a little bit more lax publicly about mafia influence than Yakuza influence in Japan. I mean, I know they take some of that stuff very, very seriously. Like, so, I mean, not that we don't in the U.S., but you know what I mean? Like, the public, like, in the United States, like, we all watch mob movies, mob TV shows. The general uh, opinion on the mob is they're not bothering me. Who cares? Sure. Like, we kind of glam- glamorize it a little bit. And I know over there it's a, it's a whole different animal, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. the, something big happened. If it, One of the two or something on par with that. And then, and then, of course, I think the last thing that I had heard was um, or read, and this is all, I mean, I, I'm not talking about, like, just fan theories that are being posted on Twitter or Reddit or wherever. I mean, this is stuff that's been, you know, speculated upon, um, you know, in, like, The Observer or, you know, on Figure Four Online or PW Insider, stuff like that. So it's, you know, they're, they're, there's, there's, they're fairly reputable sources. It's not, and again, when I say that, I don't want, you know, anyone to mistake. I'm not saying that any of these places said that this was the cause. They were just 
just reporting on things that they had heard that might have been an issue that, that they could not confirm. Um, so they weren't even the ones speculating on this. They were just saying, you know, we've heard everything from this to this to this. It could uh, be a combination. It could be a combination because the last maybe, factor yeah. was is that is that is that he had apparently there was some sort of dalliance with with someone's wife and and that that you know and that right. that'll in particular do it. is yeah that in particular especially in Japan I mean that is a huge no no um, you know there's actually a famous story about when Inoki um, was uh, caught cheating on his wife he uh, publicly shaved his head because that was a uh, you know a sign of disgrace um, and, and and so you know again I, if something like that were to happen like you said that'd do it. Um, yeah. But until we get any, you know, any concrete news, and we might never get it, unfortunately. Well, you know, we knowing the never... way that information comes out in New Japan Wrestling anyway, there's a very good chance we're never going to know. Right. Unless and, Kiyomura know, himself somehow right. decides to come clean, but... Well, and, and, you know, the final thought is, and this has been something that, you know, this is, a, this is a definitely a fan theory. This is not something that I've seen reported anywhere else, uh, is that um, he is going to come back uh, as Bone Soldier. I don't think that's the case, and we're going to talk more about that later, uh, but but that was one other thing that I guess we could throw out there. So, you know, whatever it is, it's unfortunate. I think that he had a bright future ahead of him. I think the fact that he was 32 years old, that he'd had some of these injuries, that might have worked against him in the long term, and certainly his positioning on the card. That said, I still think he had a really bright future ahead of him, and it's too bad. Well, we're going to know how bad it was, because if it's something that's not to the level we just discussed, there's a chance he shows up in another organization, That's another true. promotion. If he doesn't show up at All Japan or NOAA or any of these other ones, then something really bad happened. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. so yeah, we'll, we'll see. To, we'll have to wait and see. Um, so we want to we want to talk. We felt like it would be. Um, I mean, we, we would be remiss if we did not address something that happened today. We're recording this on April the 18th, um, and that is the passing of Bruno San Martino. Uh, I, I, I think that, first of all, for anyone who's listening for purely New Japan Pro Wrestling content, we got, we're going to tie it all together, trust me. Um, but yeah, and, and we're not going to be on this long anyway. If, no, if you're, you know. no, but I, I would say, you know, I was listening to um, Observer Live earlier today, and um, you know, Mike, Mike Sempervivi asked uh, Dave Meltzer at one point about how beloved was Bruno. And, um, you know, Dave has always said that the, you know, that the most beloved wrestling star uh, ever was El Santo. And, um, and, and Dave said that, you know, Bruno might have been second only to El Santo. Um, he, you know, in, in, his, in his region, and particularly in that Northeast Territory, you know, from the early 60s all the way up until, you know, about 1980, there, there really was no one bigger. Uh, you know, he, he kind of ruled those two decades in the Northeast. And, um, you know, he was, he was very popular as well in Toronto and Detroit and St. Louis. Uh, he famously did not draw as well in, like, southern uh, uh, territories, but, you know, still, there was no one bigger. He sold out Madison Square Garden over 60 times. There's an inflated number that you'll hear, but that's part of the myth-making. But even at that over 60 times, it's still more than anyone else has ever sold out Madison Square Garden. Um, he was, you know, he's a towering figure in the history of professional wrestling, not just North American, but professional wrestling in general. And um, before I get to the, the Japan stuff, uh, do, you, do you have anything you want to add, Paul? Uh, yeah, basically, I mean, Bruno San Martino was before our time. 
I mean, yeah. when I was a kid, he was around a little bit. If you remember, I think he was in the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 2. Yeah. You know, like, but you could tell he was he did age. He commentary. He did, like, a couple tag matches with his son. Yeah. Um, all I'm going to say about that is I remember, though, because living in Pennsylvania, before the onset of the WWE going interna- or going national and then international, my grandfather and father and everybody would have lived in what was the WWF and then WWF territory. Yeah. So I remember hearing stories about Bruno San Martino because the, the town I lived on and live on was live in, I should say, was on their loop. So the, they ran shows here quite a bit, including some TV shows. So it was not, you know, un, un, you know, out of the common, uncommon, I should say, for Bruno to come to town. So, yeah. I mean, if you talk to older people around here, a lot of them that weren't even wrestling fans knew who Bruno San Martino was. So I remember hearing stories about him and everything. I just, it's, it's unfortunate. Like, you know, the problem is, like I said, when, when I started getting into wrestling, he was already at the very, very end of his career. In fact, his in-ring work shouldn't have happened. He should have already been done. Right. <laughs> but all I can say to people is if you haven't watched, you know, if, if you do have the WWE Network, there's plenty of things you can watch on there. They actually have under the collection section yeah. the, the best of Bruno San Martino. I mean, and, and just, you know, fair warning, if you're new to that era of wrestling, the wrestling's very different. So don't judge it based on today's standard. You know, it might seem more like it might seem boring to the youth of today, but watch it for what it's worth. Watch it for his, you know, wrestling historical value. But you're never going to see a guy hold the title, have title reigns like he has ever again. Years. I mean, it was a combined like 11 years. And And when uh, he lost the title, because he lost to who did he lose to? Koloff? Yes, Ivan Koloff pinned him with a knee drop off the top. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you read heard stories or read stories that I mean, there was going to be a riot. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is uh, Bruno very famously said in an interview that uh, he, after the knee drop, he thought he'd gone deaf because the crowd went silent when when they counted his shoulders down. And um, it's funny because there's footage of it, but they've dubbed sound in, so it sounds yeah. like there's cheers. But uh, you know, everyone that was there, everyone that was in the ring, you know, will attest to the fact that it was completely silent. And then, yeah, shortly after, they thought they thought the crowd was going to riot. And, and it's and crazy. Look at, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say it, it's kind of crazy because the whole reason they ended up doing it is because Pedro Morales had gotten you know some popularity and gained some steam, and they wanted to put the belt on somebody else on, on Pedro, but they couldn't have Pedro beat Bruno, so they ended up having. Koloff beat Bruno so that Pedro could beat Koloff. Well, it's the same thing they did when they wanted to put the belt on Hogan and they couldn't have him beat Backlund. Exactly. So they yeah, use Sheik yep. as a transition. The but, same um, exact thing. You got it. You know, but if you really want to go back, if somebody wants to see some of the classic Bruno stuff, I would recommend the the feud he had with Larry Zabisco. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, that is pretty good stuff, even by today's standard. Maybe the in-ring work isn't up to what we see today, but the feud and the way they did it is just as good as anything you'll see. Yeah, I mean, that whole, like, you know, uh, mentor-protege kind of angle just worked so perfectly between the two of them. Um, yeah, the, the thing that's interesting about Bruno as well, with the timing of it, like you said, he was before our time, is even though he was before my time, I was aware enough, probably, I mean, probably before I was 10 years old, so this would have been late 80s, early 90s, aware enough to know that was the guy who held the belt for, like, eight years. You know what I mean? It was yeah, just like, I you the knew. same way. Like, even when I, I knew more about Bruno San Martino holding the belt than I did some of the current wrestlers at the time when I was right. getting into it. Right. And, and I think it was always that they talked about him, and whenever he showed up, I mean, he was billed as the living legend. Yeah. You know, and they would always pay homage to Bruno. I mean, 
and that and, and what an, an incredible backstory too for people that don't know. And I don't really oh gosh, not going to go yeah. into long detail because we want to talk about New Japan, and we're going to tie this in a second. But I mean, he, his his father had moved to America. He, he lived in Italy during World War Two. Yep. The, the Nazis had come and taken over his hometown. His yep. brother was killed. Him and his mother and some, I mean, not just the two of them, but his family member, him and his mother lived in the mountains. You know, he got a disease and almost died. I forget what the yeah. disease was. He was like a scrawny little weakling. They wound up after surviving that for, I think they were up in the mountains for like two years or something. Then they were able, after the war, to immigrate to the United States to meet back up with his father who lived in Pittsburgh. And then, you know, because he was ill and scrawny and everything, he saw weight training, people working out in the gym, and he got into it that way. And, you know, just look at what would happen. I mean, it truly is, in a way, the when we try to explain what the American dream is, well, there it is. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that that was one of the reasons, you know, he connected so well with the immigrants. I mean, he was... Um, you know, he was a hero to so many people, yeah, and, and not just an, the Italians. It, it was, an, yeah, but you know what? Because even though it wasn't just the Italians, it was, it was a story that resonates with anybody. Yeah, I mean, he he truly believed. I mean, I'm assuming till today that America was the land of opportunity and how great America was. And I mean, they said even in the press release today, the the w, Vince McMahon. I, I don't know if it was him or Triple H. One of them had said he was told, like, and believed when he was a child that America, the streets in America, were paved with gold. In fact, at one point, he actually, literally, as a child, believed they were paved with gold. <laughs> but I mean. It's just it's it's a story that resonates with everybody. I mean, you, you know, we can't maybe relate to a situation like that, but we can feel what his family must have went through, and then to see him succeed, he became an inspiration to people. Well, and the thing is, is that even though we might not necessarily be able to directly relate to that, in 1963 there were a hell of a lot of people, especially in New York and Philadelphia and Boston, and you know, in the places that he went to, that could relate directly to that. Well, how many, there were a lot of people that came directly from those same places, the same Nazi rule, the same. You know what I mean? They, well, Sam, they how many people, them. especially in the New York area, New York and Philadelphia and everything, would have been in the 60s? You know, 40-year-old people that were war veterans. Exactly. That would have maybe been fighting the Nazis in Italy or would have saw the devastation firsthand that World War II inflicted on people. Yeah. I mean, how do they not get behind, you know, they could, when you hear that story, if you were a soldier there, I'm sure some of them mentally could picture a little kid in a village that they saw, you know, it's just, it's 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 a story that encapsulates every human emotion. It, it, it really, if you, if you don't get sucked into that, then there's something wrong with you. Well, and here's something, too, that's fascinating about that. For years, they've been trying to make a movie about his life, which, you know, I mean, obviously, with what you just described, which is the true story, would be a fantastic hook for a film, but studios always wanted to, you know, beef up the drama, and so Bruno wouldn't sell the rights, because he was always under the belief that if you can't sell that story, the real true story, if you can't get behind that, then I don't want you to tell my story, and that says something about the man as well, he wasn't in to tell the story just for a buck, like, he, he believed, rightfully so, that the true story of his life was enough to say that this story should be told as opposed to have, you know, all the melodrama added in that a Hollywood script would do or something like that. So one problem too with the story and, and God bless Bruno, but (laughs) I always found it funny, even in the two thousands, like, and and he had a falling out with WWE for a long time and it was mainly over the content of the attitude era. He was an old school guy and didn't, but even when he came back, like if you watch documentaries where he talks about like his feud with Zabisco and the matches, he, even in his old age, in like not that long ago, didn't break kayfabe. Like yeah. he talked about the matches 
as if they were real. He, like he he kept that up to a point where it like and and God bless him. That was probably what it was drilled into his head and taught to respect the business. You know, but I mean, it's kind of hard when the guy who's not going to tell you some of the backstory or like what happened to make the match because he's not going to break kayfabe. And I think that that was something that, yeah, he did struggle with. Although, again, you listen to certain interviews and he's perfectly fine talking about the nuts and bolts of what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, but it's not all the time. It was like selective. It was. And I feel like a lot of that was just within the past 10 or 12 years. I feel like, you know, you're right. All the way up until like the, you know, the mid 2000s, he was pretty much still sticking to kayfabe. So I think that, yeah, there's something to be said for him not necessarily seeing past his own generation. Um, And I think that that's a legitimate critique. I think it's fascinating because this actually dovetails nicely. Critique, but not criticism. Right, right. So the, one of the fascinating things about his work is that, you know, a couple stories that I want to tell is that he had worked in Japan early on. He worked for the JWA when it was the Japanese Wrestling Association, and he formed a really close relationship with Giant Baba. And he and Baba were, were close. They wrestled uh, in singles matches together, and they, they, you know, there were a lot of tag matches. And when he was in JWA, I think on his second tour of JWA, that's when he and Inoki got into the ring together for the first time, but not in singles matches, always in tag matches. In fact, there was actually a tag match with Inoki and Baba taking on Sam Martino and Ray Stevens. And I just can't help but wow. think, man, I would, I wish there was video of that match. Um, but they, so, so when he was in Japan, he formed this close bond with Baba. He apparently did not like Inoki at all. They didn't get along. He didn't trust him. He didn't like him. So when the split happened, even though the WWWF under Vince McMahon Sr. had a working relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling, he would not wrestle for New Japan. He would not work for Inoki. But because he was Bruno, Vince Sr. was like, that's fine. You don't have to. And so he was able to go and work all Japan and work with Baba while all the other guys, you know, that, that were working for WWWF at the time had to work New Japan if they went over there. Yeah, and the funny so, thing is we were just talking about, not to bring somebody else into it, but it was like the exa- – just for, for context, it was the almost the exact opposite situation that Hulk Hogan had because right. Hulk Hogan was working for a long stretch in the AWA for Vern Gagne, and Vern had, a, a, you know, not a contract, like, but they had a working relationship with All Japan. Yeah. But Hogan wouldn't do All Japan. He wrestled for New Japan because he was trained by Matsuda, who was friends with Anoki. So, right. he, and that actually caused a friction, a big problem for them. That we'll talk about some other day because Vern wanted some of his money, and that that led right. to leaving the territory. But it's just funny. You have two of the biggest stars ever, and they have the exact opposite situation when it comes yeah. to Japan. Right. Well, and also, I mean, you could you, you could certainly argue that um, the that Bruno, the faith that that, that Vince Senior had in Bruno um, was enough to say you're my champ and that's fine you, you know you're you're the, the biggest draw I've got I'm not gonna do that to you whereas the flip side of that with the Vern Hogan thing was that Vern was just sort of like you know screw you I don't care and then Hogan went off and became the biggest star you well, know the I mean, 80s with, yeah. Vince, with Vince Jr. So. Well let's say too I mean not that I knew him personally just going what you read um, it doesn't sound like Vince, Vince Sr. would ever have to worry about you know, Bruno doing something to damage the company or embarrass the no. company or damage a working relationship they had. You know what I mean? He was 
sound like he was the perfect employee as well. Well, and most of those matches, make no mistake, most of those matches with Baba in All Japan uh, and even the JWA matches, nearly all of those matches ended in like DQs or countouts or double, you know, double countouts or whatnot. So I think that, um, you know, which was typical for the time. Uh, the Another really interesting thing is, is at one point, um, Vince Sr. really wanted Bruno to work Andre. And Bruno and Andre apparently got along really well. The thing is, is that, um, or, or, or excuse me, Vince Sr. did not want to put them together, but Bruno and Andre wanted to, to have a match together. And Vince Sr. said, I can't do that because I can't put Bruno over Andre and I can't put Andre over Bruno. And, you know, the fans aren't going to want to have any sort of screwy finish in this one with two of my most beloved baby faces, so we're not going to do the match. So it's interesting to think that Bruno and Andre never worked uh, a singles match together, um, you know, which it, it's it's also fascinating to think that here we are talking about something that was, you know, 40 plus years ago, and now you think about the same context today, and, and you know, there would be no issues, I don't think, for anybody to, to pull the trigger on that match, you know, anywhere in the world. No, well, it's a different world we live in now. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. the reason, too, you could do that anywhere in the world is now with the internet and the way these services are, it doesn't matter where the match happens, you can... You can, oh, you can do it and make money, and you can yeah. yeah. Everybody can watch it and make money off of it. It's not like you're going to waste it and create a problem for a small market that nobody's else. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know, all that being said, I, I you know, it's, it is a sad day in, in, in wrestling. Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of people, kind of like you mentioned, PJ, that might not have even been wrestling fans, but they knew the name Bruno San Martino and they respected the name Bruno San Martino and. Um, you know, even as kids growing up in the eighties, you know, we knew, we knew who he was, even if we didn't know everything about him, we knew he was just this looming towering figure in the history of, of North American professional wrestling and also spent plenty of time in Japan. Um, you know, some of those all Japan tours he did were quite long. So he never, he never wrestled new Japan because of the friction with him and Inoki, but, um, you know, he, he was, he was in Japan and, um, you know. You know, uh, it's a, just an unfortunate thing that's, you know, it happens. Yeah. But uh, the last thing I'm going to say on it is just every time I you would watch, you know, like retrospectives about Bruno, they always held up that one sign, and that's how I'm going to end it and just say, you know, Bruno is Uno. Yeah. <laughs> I always loved how that sounded. I love the sign, and that pretty much sums it up. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. All right. So let's uh, dive right into some uh, some New Japan Pro Wrestling results yes. and overviews. Okay. Um, Let's start off with the uh, Lionsgate Project 11, which would have been the first event that we uh, we could cover, frankly, after yeah. uh, Genesis. Well, um, let me just say for full disclosure, this will be the only thing we talk about that I haven't had the chance to see yet. Um, I just couldn't fit it in with everything else. Um, I do plan on watching it because I do enjoy watching the Lionsgate Projects. But I do know and have read about enough of what happened that I can at least, you know, you're going to have to carry the ball here a little bit sure. as far as the details. But we can discuss the overview. Yeah, and you know, and and let's face it, the Lionsgate project stuff is 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 a lot of fun. I think that it is, um, uh, it's a good short show. They tend to be about an hour and a half or so. With it, and if you, you know, pretty much if you're skipping entrances or any pauses in between matches, you could probably blaze through it in about an hour, maybe a little over an hour. Um, and no, but they're it, a great format. They're a great thing to show up for you know to show the young lions and some. And they're not all yeah. young lions, but it's designed for the young lions. And you know, it's just another event that you get as part of the streaming service. So if you, if it's your cup of tea, great. If not, you're not missing anything major. It's just you know, right? It's and, there. 
it, yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, it's a great showcase for the young lions. It also showcases some of the uh, older talent, the veteran talent, uh, and it's a great opportunity to work with talent from other promotions, which we'll definitely talk about as we get deeper into the card. Um, so it opened up with uh, the Yuya uh, Yomura debut match. Um, and this was actually a fun little match. It went 8 minutes, 16 seconds. Uh, Rin Narita uh, won the match with a Boston Crab, which anyone knows see anything. That, yeah, you're going <laughs> to yeah. see that that's a, an ongoing theme. Exactly. That that tends to be the finish in all Young Lions singles matches. Um, you know, they started off with some really nice grappling work uh, on the mat. Uh, it was it was really fluid, felt very reality-based, though, um, you know, transitioning into holds. Uh, early on, uh, Narita went for the crab, um, but uh, Yamura got to the ropes. Um, and as soon as he did, Narita got up and started just laying in with some stomps to, like, his midsection and his back. And I just loved that. I thought it was some great psychology, great way to, you know, to, to, to easily soften him up for that crab. Um uh, Yomura tried to get something started with this big drop kick, and, and Narita was selling it like a million bucks. Uh, but, you know, to Yomura's credit, he was still selling the back as well. Um, and, and Narita just came back at him um, and, and ended up applying the, the crab and, and got the, the tap out win. Uh, so I thought it was a really great debut match. Um, you know, he sold like a million bucks, in my opinion. I, I thought that his selling of the back was great. Yeah, um, when we get into the um, the Row 2 shows, I'll, I'll talk about your, your... I don't even know how you say his name exactly. Yamura? Yamura, yeah, Yamura. Yamura. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about him, because he did wrestle on the fir- like during the, um, the fir- opening match on the first night of the Row 2 shows. I'll talk a little bit more about him. But, you know, he looks he looked impressive. I mean, th- that was his... What I, I didn't see his debut. I saw his first match on a major card, like a right. bigger card, um, and, and he yeah. was fine. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know, and I and, look, and Narita I, always does okay. I mean, he he looks like he's going to be pretty solid. I completely know? agree. I like I like him a lot. Um, and and I you know you'll hear me talk about this often, but I love the Young Lions stuff. I feel like the Young Lions stuff is as much an education for the fans as it is for the wrestlers in the ring. And the reason yeah. I say that is because they can only work with the fundamentals. You know, they can't pull... No, You're not going to see anybody doing a Destino. You know what I mean? You're not going to be mm-hmm. seeing anybody pulling off a moonsault. This is all very basic moves that they're allowed to use. They're not yeah, even allowed I mean, to use those other moves. Besides um, Boston Crab, you're basically talking drop kicks. They like to do... Um, if they're going to go off the top rope, it's a lot of times it's like a double leg drop kick. Yep. Um, a lot of a lot of like uh, holds on the on the mat. Yeah. You know? Belly to belly suplex. Tons is, of is, chops. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of chops and forearms and kicks. Stuff like that, but it's all very basic, and so it's to me the thing that I love about it as a fan is watching what they do within those confines, and it's really great because they tell these wonderful, simple stories. And again, I feel like it's just a great education for fans as well as the the wrestlers working in the ring because mm. you know you're really getting the fundamentals of what it takes to make a match, and, and you're um, not you're not watching the wrestlers and seeing their ring attire or their special moves. So you're right. basically just seeing the, the individual, which sometimes makes it a little difficult because sometimes. If they if they have a similar look, it makes it yeah. hard sometimes to tell what you're watching. But you know, Which, all in all, they're fun to watch, and they're they're never more than I've never seen a young lion single match go more than what ten minutes max. Yeah, usually they're under that. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, and um, they usually run anywhere from eight or six to eight minutes, give or take. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of which, the next one is the uh, um, the uh, Yota Suji. A debut match against Tomoyuki Oka. And Can I just say, for whatever reason, and I have no idea why I like one young lion more than the other because they basically do the same thing at this point. Yeah, but for some reason, I, I've my favorite's Oka. Oh, dude, Oka. So I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about it in this match. Oka 
is like he's sort of just that bastard of a wrestler. Like his strikes, he has that look about him too. Yeah, that, like, he looks miserable. He reminds me in some ways. He reminds me. He doesn't have the same size necessarily, or or the same aura yet. But he does remind me a bit of Ishi. And so, they, like some of his strikes in particular, he's got that same sort of like you know, fuck you, I'm going to hit you as hard as I can uh, uh, thing about him, which which I really like. Um, this is interesting because the match was a nice contrast to that first one. There's more of a stand-up game at the beginning. You know, they're trading some holds, sure, but a lot of strikes to start off with. It felt very, you know, kind of like the like the difference between seeing uh, sort of that ground-based, you know, MMA match and then seeing that stand-up game MMA, you know, and, and, and you know, contrasted right next to one another. Um, it's great because Suji was drawing major sympathy from the crowd. I mean, Oka was beating him down, but the fans in his debut match, the fans were chanting for Suji. They wanted to see him, you know, come up with something, and, and it was really cool. Uh, you know, he ended up scoring with a drop kick, um, but, you know, all the while he was selling his back because at one point uh, Oka had a, a camel clutch, a pretty sick-looking camel clutch on him. Um, then he did some, like, brutal-looking forearms, uh, but Suji kind of fired back at him, still selling the back. Uh, and then it was really cool, and this is something unique, I think, to the, you know, that, that Lions Project atmosphere is you're getting chance for the young Lions. There was a dueling chant for Suji and Oka, and it was really, it was really nice. Um, well, I, I've seen some of these Lions, the Lionsgate uh, shows before. The crowd knows what they're getting. They're yeah. there to see the young Lions, so the, the crowd gets more into the matches than when they're on the, the, the first match or two of a bigger card. Yes. When they, the bigger cards, you know, the fans are there to see LIJ, or they're there to see Suzuki, Goon, or whatever, but when you when the crowd knows, it's a smarter, not a smarter crowd, but it's a crowd that knows exactly what they're there for and gets behind it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Oka ends up applying the uh, Boston Crab to get the tap-out victory in 7 minutes and 17 seconds. The thing that was really cool about Oka having the crab on, and again, it's just that big bruiser kind of attitude that he's got, um, he was like jumping up and down on Suji's back, and it was, it, it, you know, it didn't look like horrible by any means, but it was enough to sell the drama of it as in like, I'm going to make this kid tap out. And Uh, another funny thing, when you watch these young lions matches, you can almost always tell who's going to win because, you know, first of all, if a young lion is in with the non young lion, they're taking, they're going to lose. But even like, it seems like even in a young lion versus young lion match, it's almost like this, the more senior guy is going to go over. Right. Not always, but you know what I mean? Like, when you watch this, the two kids that were making their debuts were going to eat the, you know, oh. I usually say eat the pinfalls, but they both tapped out to the Boston Crab. Right, yeah, I mean, definitely. You know, I mean, it's it's a longstanding tradition that in your debut match you lose. The, you know, there are a couple of famous exceptions here and there, but for the most part, it's like you debut, you lose. And um, Yeah, usually a lot of guys to your last match you lose. Yeah, yeah. You know. uh, unless you're Inoki. But, um. <laughs> well, Inoki was going to, and then he says he was talked out of it. Yeah, well, right. I think he talked out of it in a mirror. Yeah, right. Um, so next up, we have uh, a tag team match. Uh, oh, and one thing I will mention real quick. You were saying about the, the times on those matches. Uh, there is a 10-minute uh, ten time limit uh, on those first two matches. So, yeah, yeah they, were, they were definitely going to finish in under 10. Um, so the next up, we got this tag match with Tetsuhiro Yagi uh, and Tiger Mask taking on Ghetto and uh, Hiro Saito. Saito, excuse me. Um, interesting thing about uh, Saito is that he is from the Tradition promotion, which is uh, Tatsumi Fujinami's promotion um, that he's been running for about, I think, like 10 or 12 years. 
Um, and so uh, this is kind of that interpromotional stuff that we were talking about that you'll get with the Lions Gate uh, matches. Uh, this was an interesting match. You know, Yagi, again, drew a lot of sympathy from the crowd and had a lot of good fire and, and some great moments, especially against Ghetto. There were even a couple of times when it looked like, you know, you knew he probably wasn't going to get the pin, but he made a couple of, you know, pin attempts that got near falls. Um, which is some good stuff. Uh, Tiger Mask had some had some nice stuff, but ultimately he kind of got nullified, um, you know, by um, by by some underhanded tactics from Ghetto and, and Saito. And how old is Saito now? You think? Because he looks old. Yeah, he does look old. He, he he looked like he was moving pretty slow in the ring too. And 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 like I, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about the guy, but it, there were definitely times when I felt like, um, you know. He's 56, so that makes sense. Yeah, he's 56. (laughs) So there were definitely times when I was just sort of like, oh, man, you know, I mean, Ghetto is actually looking really good in there. Um, And then Saito would get in and kind of slow things down. I mean, he's still got some great strikes, and he comes off kind of like a dick, which is perfect for this situation. Um, But they kept, you know, Yagi kept getting the... um, a lot of the sympathy from the crowd. They were really behind him. They were chanting his name quite a bit. Um, you know, again, he got that that drop kick for the comeback, made the hot tag to Tiger Mask. Um, something that you'll notice also in a lot of times with these tag matches where a young lion's tagging with a more experienced wrestler is that once the hot tag is made to the veteran, there'll be, you know, the veteran will lay the beat down, and then the young lion will be like, ooh, tag me in, I want to get the pinfall. And the veteran will kind of take a moment, gauge the crowd, make the tag, the young lion comes in, just like you see in this situation. He comes in, gets in some good stuff, but eventually something falls apart. Yeah, and you see that when they, a lot of times when they put young lions in the multi-man matches in the in the main show. They'll get the upper hand, or somebody will, like, the other team will make a tag, and then the young lion's all excited, and their teammates have to tell them, like, okay, it's time for you to tag out. And, like, yeah. Oka is notorious for them, like, give, yelling at them, no, he doesn't want to, and then he'll wind up doing it. But so you can, you know... I know what you mean. Like they, they, it's, they position them like they're they want to get the win so badly, that right? They disregard logic sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's just wonderful storytelling, and it makes a lot of sense. And there's definitely a sort of a traditional aspect of that. Um, I, you know, I think that goes you know, even culturally speaking, that goes beyond you know even professional wrestling storytelling. Um, so at this point, you know, again, he he gets some really good stuff in. You know, um, the crowd is chanting for him. And then Ghetto gets an eye uh, eye poke, and it's great because he pokes the eye, and then Yagi tries to go for a drop kick because he still wants to keep fighting, but he can't see him, so he misses the drop kick. Saito drops a couple of sentons on him, um, and then Ghetto puts on the Ghetto clutch and gets the one two three. Um, so it was a fun little match, you know. It was uh, that was fourteen minutes and fifty nine seconds, um, and uh, you know I. I, I I thought that the best parts of the match were when Ghetto and, and Yagi were in the match. Um, the rest of the stuff was, you know, whatever. But it, it, was, it was fun. You know, why not, right? Yeah, why not? Um, so next up we have uh, another tag team bout. Uh, this one is going to be a 30-minute time limit with uh, Manabu Nakanishi and Hiroyoshi Tenzan uh, against Ken45 and uh, Manjimaru. Um, and those two are actually from Kaintai Dojo. Uh, this this was interesting. Um, you know, it, I felt like Ken45... <laughs> Let me just say, I mean... If I was looking at the card, this would be the one I'd be like, okay, if I have to, like, get up or something or grab something to eat, this is when I'm doing it. Yeah. And that sounds awful, and I know it is. I, you know, it's a little disrespectful, but 
The only reason I would really want to watch this is maybe to see the guy, the Ken Forty Five, a man Jumara. Right. Well, and, because... and think about think about Kim Forty Five. It might be Kim Forty Five Degrees. Honestly, I can't decide if that's supposed no. To and there was no audio movie. commentary for it. I'm sure. So you right. don't know. Yeah. Right. Um, so anyway, he, uh, yeah, I mean, he was fine, and 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 I think that he might have been the standout a bit within the match. Uh, although Nakanishi had this awesome like double. It wasn't even a suplex. It was more he just like threw the two guys over his head, like a suplex maneuver or something, uh, which was which was pretty great. Um, I think the most remarkable thing about the match, to be honest with you, was that post match. Manjimaru um, went after Nakanishi, but Nakanishi was just sort of like, no. And just unloaded with some strikes uh, and then hit a huge headbutt and tossed him out of the ring. I thought that that was, that was pretty great. Um, uh, Tenzan, of course, ended up getting the uh, tap out with the Anaconda Vice in 13 minutes and 35 seconds on Ken 45. It was a match. It was, you know, it was there. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just... No. But... The next match, the main event, if you will, uh, was Shota Umino and Yuji Nagata against Go Asakawa and Ayato uh, Yoshida. Now, let uh, me just make sure, because sometimes I get the Young Lions a little mixed up. Shota Umino is Red Chuson, correct? Yes. Okay, so he's the one that Jericho put in the walls of Jericho at Wrestle Kingdom. Yes, you got it. Okay. You got it. Um, so... This one was, I, I actually really enjoyed this, and it was probably my favorite match on the card. No, it was. It was my favorite match on the card. Went 12 minutes and 3 seconds. Uh, Yoshida ended up getting the pin on uh, Umino with the uh, backdrop. Um, he, he hit uh, sort of a big backdrop and then covered him for the pinfall. Um, the, the great part about this match is that there was just some wonderful storytelling. They tried to isolate Umino a lot of the match. Um... Asakawa was not in the match a whole lot. He'd come in for a little bit, but this was mostly like the Yoshida show. And the reason I say that is because right away he went after Nagata. He like kicked him in the face and booted him off the apron. Uh, he, you know, he would punch him off the apron every chance he got. He was just all over Nagata. And you could tell, like, Nagata at one point got pissed and grabbed a chair and started to get up on the apron, and the ref, like, got him to throw the chair down. Um, there were definitely some Shota chants. Uh, you know, people were behind him. He certainly had some nice moments, and he and he brought it to Yoshida a couple of times. Um, but mostly Yoshida was just too much. Yoshida carried himself like a star, honestly. Uh, these are also two guys from Kai and Tai Dojo, um, and it was... Um, uh, you know what? I'm sorry. I said Ken 45 and Manjimaru were from Kai and Tai. They, that's, that was wrong. They're from Michinoku Pro. Uh, so, so, yeah, uh, that was... My bad. The the you know Yoshida and Asakawa were the two from Kai and Tai Dojo. Anyway, um, Yoshida yeah carried himself like a star. Looked like a million bucks in the ring. Had some really great moments. Is young. You know, has only been in the business for about two and a half years. Um, so it was kind of a perfect opportunity for him to step up um, to Nagata the way that he did. And he's been on these uh, Lions Project cards before. Um, Nagata when he got in, uh, it was like. It, <sighs> It was great because Nagata was like, went right after Yoshida, kicked him out of the ring, and then just put the boots to Asakawa big time. Like, fired off with some great kicks. Uh, Then Yoshida got in, and they went toe-to-toe. There was this beautiful forearm exchange. Uh, Yoshida ends up getting the better of it and ends up hitting, like, two soccer kicks on Nagata that that were, you know, pretty great. Ended up getting a near fall on Nagata. Um, And then... um, you know, Mino wanted back in the match. Nagata gave it to him. 
Um, they double teamed for a little bit. He went for the crab. Um, Go and Nagata at this point were actually out of the ring. Um, and Go was able to get back in to make the save for Yoshida. And at this point, um, uh, uh, no, it, there was actually, excuse me, one quick thing that I wanted to mention is that there was a, a really nice spine buster from Amino on Yoshida. Um, and then he, he had a knee to the face, um, um, and then Yoshida was able to come back, um, and he hit the, the uh, uh, a big boot on Nagata, um, and uh, got Nagata out of the ring again. There was a, um, a kick backdrop, and he hit the pinfall um, on Umino. And after the match, the post-match stuff was actually really great, um, because Yoshida got on the mic, and you know, not understanding hardly any Japanese at all, it was clear that he was challenging Nagata for a match. Uh, Nagata ended up getting on the mic, couldn't really tell if he accepted the match or not. The crowd didn't... They, they reacted. Now, who but, was this? Yoshida? Yeah, Yoshida. Yoshida was challenging Nagata oh, to a match. I'm going to answer that for you in one second. Yeah. I actually have the answer. Because um, I was going to say, not to interrupt you, but if anybody... That, if you like the Lionsgate Projects, the next one is Tuesday, May 15th. Mm-hmm. And they have the card up. And the main event is Yuji Nagata versus Ayoto Yoshida. Perfect. That's going to be great. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. In fact, here, do you want me to... I, I can tell you the card real quick if you want. Sure. It's uh, Yota... How do you say it? Suji? Uh, yes, yes. Suji, versus yeah. uh, Yumara. Mm-hmm. Then you have Manu, Manubu Nakanishi yep. versus Oka. My boy oh, Oka. Nice. Poor Oka. The third match is a tag match. It's Hiro Saito and Tenzan versus mm-hmm. Renarita and Yagi. Okay. The fourth match is Shota Umino versus Daisuke Sekimoto. Oh, nice. That's great. Yeah, Daisuke uh, has wrestled for um, uh, All Japan a lot. That that should be a lot of fun. And then the main event, like I said, is Yuji, I'm sorry, Yuji Nagata versus Yoshida. So that's that. And like I said, that's Tuesday, May 15th, if anybody wants to check that out. Because yeah. I, I just was bopping ahead on the schedule to see when the next Lionsgate project was. So there you have that. Nice. I love it. I love it. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Um, I, I think that, uh, or excuse me, Saikimoto um, uh, is actually, um, I mean, he's wrestled in, in All Japan, but he's also wrestled in Big Japan. So he's probably representing Big Japan on this card because that, the, the sort of the working relationships that they've established so far have been um, Tradition, Kai and Tai, Michinoku Pro, and Big Japan um, in, in the Lionsgate stuff. Um, so yeah, so, you know, overall, I, I think that it, it's not for everybody. And I understand that there are some people that are not going to enjoy these Lionsgate, um, uh, uh, shows and that's fine. You know, I mean, whatever, but, yeah, but uh, you know what, if you, if you haven't watched one, at least check one out for sure. You know what I mean? It's it, worst case. It's not your, your cup of tea and you just stop watching or you don't watch the next one. But you know, the nice thing too, is if, if you're going to watch new Japan a lot, a lot of these guys, like, like you're you're looking at it like you had two guys make their debut. Now it'll be pretty neat in a couple of years if they're big stars. You saw their first match exactly on a Lionsgate project show. So I mean, you know, if you could go back and watch if they had these shows a couple of years ago, God, you would have saw some major major stars starting out. So you know, right? Like, like you said, it's it's not for everybody, but you won't know until you try. So and and it's really only about an hour and a half. And if you're watching it, you're not watching it live. You're watching it on demand. Like you said, if you want to skip the entrances and everything, it might even be a, a tad under an hour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that's right. I mean, if you put the, like if you were to just time out all the matches and add them together, it's usually under an hour. 
Um, but yeah, I, I enjoy it. Like I said, I really enjoy those singles matches between the Young Lions, uh, which is sort of a perfect segue to get us into uh, Road to Dantaku, Don- um, night one. And we are from Corcoon Hall uh, and Friday, April 13th. Um, so just about five days ago. First matchup was um, a 15-minute time limit, and that's Tetsuhiro Yagi taking on Yuya Yomura. Uh, excuse me, Yomura, Mura, Mura. Yeah, that's a tongue. That one's hard to get out. It is, For yeah. some reason, it's just Yumura, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, Umura. No, Umura. that was a good matchup. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. went 9 minutes, 18 seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to take notes on these shows because a lot of the matches kind of blend together over the two nights. Sure. But um, the one thing, uh, like, when the match started, Yagi was hitting him with some wicked chops. Yeah. I don't know if it just sounds louder when they're at Corican, but holy God, they sounded awful. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that there were some wicked chops, and there was even some slaps a little later in the match that were pretty, you know, pretty wicked as well. So, no, I think they were laying into each other. In fact, I even, I even took notes that... Um, you know, that there were some really good strikes. There was some good fire overall between the two yeah. of them. I, I have they, two here that I'd marked down that I liked, like I, I, I highlighted that I liked Yumara's intensity. Yeah. Like the way he presented himself, you know what I mean? He, he, it's hard to say because sometimes you could, they, they come out almost like shell shocked a little bit. Not that they are, but they're trying to like to, to rein in their emotion. I thought he had a nice, like he didn't overdo it, but he looked intense, like, you know, he was literally, literally, like, legitimately trying to get a win. Yeah. So, and, and it's his second match. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the other thing that's remarkable. And see, the other thing that was great as I was watching this match, and the thing that again, I think those fundamentals. It all goes back to the fundamentals. Is that that the ground game between the two and the holds that they exchanged? It's like that's wrestling. You know, and, and I well, think they were that, working body parts. Exactly. Like I, I noticed too. Like Umora, he went for a Kimura lock. And then he kept working the arm. And then, uh, like, right after that, he went for an arm bar. Like, he stayed on the one arm. And then when Yagi was working, he worked, like, the leg. Because he worked, he got him, like, um, Yumara in, a, in a, like, a heel hook, I guess you would call it. And, and tried to wear down the leg in the back area for the Boston Crab. So, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, they don't try to get overly intense, like, involved with the story of the match. But they tell a simple story that's easy to follow. They pick body parts. They They work, like... You know, they don't because they're, they're like you said, the moves they can use are somewhat limited, so they have to use them in in the correct way to tell the right. story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I thought I thought they told a really nice story. You know, compact nine nine minutes eighteen seconds. Uh, you got your standard Boston Crab finish, but uh, yeah, I, I thought they it both was... hit a really nice uh, drop kick. Like I even marked here oh, like, yeah. when I was taking notes that Yumara hit a real nice drop kick, and then like my next line of notes is Yagi's was even better. Yeah, and Uemura, I mean, the thing is about him is that he, like, was a standout to me uh, on, you know, as far as the Young Lions go. I, I, I even noted that. I was like, and again, it's a second match, and you're just sort of like, man, he really kind of stood out to me, made an impression. Yeah, not so, only is it like a second know. match, it's its first and a, on a major, on like a, a real card. Not that the, the Lionsgate project isn't a real card, but you know what I mean? It's it's a regular card right. in Japan from Cork and Hall, and now it's your second match, and here you go, start the show. Right, right, you exactly. Know, that's not an easy situation to be in. No, no, it's not. And speaking of easy situations that are not uh, not easy situations, Tomoyuki Oka uh, was uh, going against uh, Manabu Nakanishi. My boy Oka. 
Yeah, and uh, and you know, and Oka did. He looked good. I mean, again, he had that great fire. Um, Nakanishi not playing around gave him some hard hits, uh, but Oka came back and uh, was even able to hit like a brainbuster and a splash and a judo a judo throw. Yeah, he had a suplex and he had like a belly to belly right after it. Yeah, the belly to belly I thought was a little ugly looking. <laughs> no, it's probably hard for him to get a guy of Nakanishi size up. Yeah, oh, I for mean, sure. But uh, you know. It, it is what it is. It's. I liked the way that Oka was selling. Totally. Like he has a pained look in his face when he, he's selling a move. The selling that the Young Lions do in general, I feel like, is always really solid. Because the, the wonderful thing about their position on the card, you know, you hear, especially if you listen to, like, shoot interviews uh, from guys who wrestled in the 80s or whatever. It's like, oh, you learn how to sell without dying or whatever. The way that the Young Lions are positioned on the card is that they can sell almost to the point of dying because... They're so they're, they're they're so low on the totem pole, you know, and so it's like uh, the, the whole object you don't have is to, you don't have to worry about making them look weak. They're put in positions to exactly, kind of look weak. Exactly, exactly. And so when Nakanishi comes out and starts slapping you around, you can look like you're getting the shit beat out of you. Um, and so I, I thought, yeah, I thought the match played really well. I mean, Nakanishi, of course, you know, comes firing back and and uh, and gets the the backbreaker rack to get the win in eight minutes and nine seconds. Um, and it, you know, the post-match Nakanishi like just insults Oka by, you know, patting him on his head like he's a little puppy dog or something. Um, and, and you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, Oka looked good. No doubt about it. Yeah. So nice tidy little match there. It takes yeah. time to the next match, which yes. you want to set up for us? Sure. So we've got a, a six-man tag match, 20-minute time limit. Uh, Ren Narita, uh, Ryusuke Taguchi, Toji Makabe, and uh, they're taking on Shota Umino, Tiger Mask, and Yuji Nagata. Um, you know, look, I'll be the first one to admit I love Makabe. I mean, I know that his best days are behind him. I know no illusions at all. But anytime I get to see Makabe in the ring, I'm excited. And I'm a huge mark for Nagata as well. So the two of them, you know, in the ring together at any point in time was going to be fun. Uh, and it was, you know. Yeah, speaking of fun, and I usually, you know, I'm not the world's biggest fan of Taguchi. Uh, not that I dislike him. He just doesn't do a lot for me. But um, yeah. this new thing that I was laughing, the new thing he does where he does the fist bump. Did, yeah. you, did you notice that? Like, and then, like he did it with the ref to prove he was really going to do it. And then when they right. go to do it, he does like that Ole thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know why it's so juvenile, why I found that so funny. But I, you know, I, 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 for some reason, I just... I found it funny. It cracked me up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, look, because it's guy, so it's so stupid. It, it, yes, and and we, you know, and the thing is, the thing about Taguchi sometimes is you know that he's a talented wrestler. You know, there's no there's no doubt about it. I mean, but you don't I, have a career of this length without exactly. But I can't help but wonder if you know he's on the downside of that career. So you know, you're not going to see the same stuff you saw when he and Devitt were teaming together, for instance. You know what I mean? And so it's it's like it's fine. You know, I don't mind seeing Taguchi. I never think he's wasting space on a car by any means. You know, he's he's still very talented. But yeah, I, I think at this point he's he's not just comedy the way that Yano's comedy, but he's still he's still more comedy than he is. He's going to get yeah. in there and really go. You know, and I can't remember if they did it in this match. But the one thing that when he's in a match that does drive me nuts, and they do it in other matches too, yeah. is I hate when they get a guy in the corner. Oh, and the they baseball all, call? Yeah. Like, yeah. I hate it in general when they yeah. all keep running. But then when he starts doing the baseball call thing, I don't find that to be too funny. Well, I know the thing is not to skip ahead, but Tanahashi did it. Yeah. Like, it's he like, did oh, it come the next on. Night. I know. Um, but anyway. Well, he, had, he had a captain's armband on. 
Yeah, yeah. Did you get Tanahashi? Yeah. But, um, you know, it was what it was. Um, I, I thought the, the Shota, Umino, and Ren Narita both did well in these matches, or in yeah. this match, I should say. Um, again, too. Like, it just seems like every time I watch these, I always notice that the Young Lions always have really, really nice-looking drop kicks. Yes. And I know that's because they have a limited move set. They have to practice that a lot, but they always make them look good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I no, I agree. I thought they did and a then, very, very good job. And then you had Taguchi did his, I don't even know what he calls it, his ass shot. Oh, he, yeah. He did it to everybody. Yeah, he like did. He, they went a little off the rails with it. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I liked the finish a lot, though. I thought the finish was well done, you know, with Tiger Mask and Narita. And, you know, Tiger Mask got the Tiger Driver on him. Well, yeah, um, because you knew either Narita or Shoto were going to eat the pinfall. It was just a matter of how they were going to, like, what team was going to go over. Yeah, yeah. And the only other thing about this match that I think, you know, that I would remark on, honestly, is, uh, again, the, the Nagata and uh, Makabe interactions were a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, they, they exchanged some, some stiff shots to one another. And then, uh, you know, Nagata got the, uh, I think he, he threw him with an exploder uh, that looked pretty damn good. Um, I always enjoy when they put Nagata in these matches with the Young Lions. Yeah. Because I, and I always tell people it usually comes up a day or two after, but they do the the backstage segments. Yep. And they put the subtitles on them and whatever. And it's always humorous to me when they have Nagata with the young lion because he like <laughs> kind of looks down on them, but you can tell he's trying to help them. The way they present it, like he always tells them you did good, but you got to show me more next time. And, and yeah. they're always thanking him and trying. Like it's just a funny little dynamic they have. No, I, I, I agree. I, I like that stuff a lot too. And Nagata just carries himself so well. I mean, the guys. Yeah. The guy is is just. Fantastic. I mean, for him to have had the G1, for instance, that he had last year, it, you know, I mean, yeah, we knew it was going to be his last G1 or whatever, but just, you know, the matches he put on and the quality of his matches and his work in general, I, I mean, he, you know, the day that guy rides off into the sunset is a day to stand up and, and, and give him, a, you know, applause because he, he deserves it. I mean, he's, he's just awesome. Uh, and yeah. so I, I love seeing him anytime. No, I, like I said, I'm not the world's biggest fan of Taguchi. Well, we're going to talk about the one guy in New Japan that I can't stand at all. Uh, I know who you're talking about. You want to take a guess? <laughs> yeah, it's it's Izuka. Yeah. Um, so so next up, we've got another six man. It's uh, Rapongi 3K, Shoyo, and Rocky Romero taking on Taka Michinoku, Taichi, and Takashi Izuka representing Suzuki Goon. Um, yeah. Here's the I mean, thing. And the antics didn't stop. I mean, honestly, no. how many times in this match did he bite yo? Yep. Like, we're not and talking it, like a bite here or there. Like, he made an entire, like, in the 11 minutes of the match, he must have spent five minutes total just biting yo. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I even, I didn't take a lot of notes on this match because I was just sort of like standard Suzuki-gun, you know, shenanigans, uh, which it really was. And, and, and it's. And then we had to sit through it the next night, which I'll talk about. You know, I, I didn't think his biting could be outdone, and then he outdid it the second. <laughs> yeah, uh, Tai Chi ended up getting the win on this one in eleven minutes. I five thought tai seconds. Chi, tai Chi looked great. Yeah, oh, I was actually, you know, it's funny. I was going to say the same thing. Uh, you know, and Taka actually had a couple of nice moments too. It's interesting because I feel like Taka's definitely like, I mean, obviously the guy's getting older, but he's slowed down a little bit. You know, even even recently when you see him in a match. Um, but but again, he's you know he's a smart wrestler. He's got a lot. Uh, of experience, so he knows what to do with what he's got. It's almost kind of like the reverse of the Young Lions. You know, the Young Lions are limited to using this, you know, X amount of moves, and they have to tell a story with that. Whereas Taka, who's a guy who's been through it all and gone, you know, up and down the the, the entire island and you know the United States and yeah, all over between, the world. 
you know, he, he knows that he can't do some of the stuff that he used to be able to do, but boy, does he know what to get out of what he can still do, uh, which is similar to somebody like Liger, you know, and I'm not saying that Taka is, you know, is, is legendary like Liger is or whatever, no, but it's a but similar I, kind I know of what thing. You mean. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, the, the, the last ride, uh, uh, power bomb gets the pin on show in 11 minutes and five seconds. It was um, what it, it was. <laughs> it was funny that after the match, Rocky went off the ropes at him and got hit right in the, the throat with the, what yeah. is he called? The, the, the iron glove or the yeah. iron? I just call it the iron hand of doom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so next up, uh, we had another tag match um, with uh, Toa Hanare and Hiroyoshi Tanzan taking on Toriyano and uh, Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, <sighs> you want to start or you want me to start? You start. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of Toa Hanare. Me either. And, and it's not even like he does some moves that I like and, and some of the stuff. I don't like his character. I don't like that it's just like, and to me, it's almost like, now, listen, I don't know anybody from New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. But apparently, from when I looked at the analytics, somebody in New Zealand's listening to the show. <laughs> I, I would think that that comes across as kind of a stereotype. Sure. Like he's just nonstop. Like even in this match, he had a start. Like Tenzon had to calm him down and hold him back. And it's like every match now he's in, especially if he's in with Ishii, it's going to be the same thing. We're going to do the the bumping off the ropes to see who goes down. Then the punching where they eat each other's punches. Like it's just, I don't know. Maybe it's almost to me like he's, he's almost like a, just a dressed up young lion still. Like they, uh, they sent him away. More. Yeah. They brought him back. But he still feels like a, uh, he just feels like a young lion that's allowed to have ring gear. Yep. No, I, know, I, I, and, I. And the sad thing is, totally. like, if, they, if he toned it down a little bit, and you know, it was weird for me because this is one of the few times I was watching it without well, there was no English commentary. Yeah. But I know a lot of times when there is, even Don Callis will say like he might do better if he slows down. Like he's just too like I don't know how to describe it. It's just too much. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with you. And I, he's young. He can. I'm not trying to rag on him. I mean, he could find his niche and get better. It's just like he might have been. Am I? I think they should have kept him out on an excursion longer. Or, well, I will I say know. this. I mean, they, they've been putting him in the ring with guys that clearly know what they're doing. And in this instance, I feel like he gets three. You know, very different guys to kind of work with. You know, Tenzan is definitely on the downside of his career, but the guy is is you know is pretty much a bona fide legend. Um, you know, and so he's he's able to tag with him. So he's obviously going to be soaking some of that up. He's standing across the ring from you know Tomohiro Ishii, and Ishii is is just. I love I mean, Ishii. Yeah, I mean, Ishii's, he's, he's kind of, in some ways, I feel like a lot of people would consider him the, you know, sort of the unsung hero of New Japan. You know, he's not, yeah, he's, he's not getting lots of belts thrown at him. He's not winning lots of tournaments, but he's I'll the be, people's champ. Uh, he's an old yeah, phrase. Yeah, like, right? I know what you mean. Like the, the fans like bowl, him. Man. Yeah. They, the fans like him. They get behind him. Like when they did the G1 special, the first year in America, the fans loved him. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know what to make of it. And I mean, then he's got yeah. somebody like Yano who's like. A nut you job, know, but 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 still, you know, also has. You know, I will it, say this for, for whatever reason, I don't know why Yano's starting to grow on me. <laughs> You're coming. Like, to the I dark know side. what I'm getting. Like shocking in the development in this match, Yano tur- took off the turnbuckle pad. Right. You know. You're going to get, uh, and a lot of times he's going to hit somebody in the nuts, yank on their hair, things like that. But. I don't know. Like he's, and I don't know if he grew on me because he's in the same match with Hanari, and I'm just looking at him like, ugh. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. And, you know, I, I, and thought, I hate saying it like that because I hate being the guy 
that's trying to like look at it sounds like I'm trying to shit on the guy and I'm not. It's just that there's something that's not clicking with Hanari. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think he's the thing is, is they're going to give him the time. I mean, that's the thing. He's not in any sort of spotlight position. He's not like it's not like they're saying like, here's the belt, run with it, kid. You know what I mean? It's it's it, they're they're going to give him that time. Yeah, he's all and he's always in tag matches. I have yet right. to see him. I don't, I don't think in a singles match. You know, which yes. is fine. Speaking of that, actually, one quick note that I wanted to make that I thought was really interesting, um, based on everything that I could sift through and find on like Cage Match and uh, you know Googling stuff and. Uh, looking on on New Japan World, which obviously wouldn't have everything anyway. Uh, Tenzan and Ishii have actually only met in one-on-one matches twice. Well, I'm assuming, was it during G1? Yeah, they had a four-star match, according to The Observer, in 2016 during G1. And then, of course, there was a pretty famous match uh, last year, in June of last year, when Tenkoji beat Ishii and Yano for the tag titles at the 45th anniversary show. Um, so, so there's definitely history there, but I did think it was kind of interesting that those two guys, and part of it I think is generational in a way, you know, they, they are separated just a little bit, even though Ishii's a little older, Tenzan is, 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 is of a different generation. Well, they, they call Tenzan, what do they call that? The the third generation? They like to call them, it's like him and Kojima and a lot of those guys that were around during that time period that are still hanging around. But, um, and, oh God, man, like, I, I don't think I marked it until the second night, my notes, but man, Tenzan looks rough like it looks like he can hardly walk half the time and if you watch him walk it's like his feet or something are bent like he's walking on the outsides of his feet at this point yeah no i mean that's that's definitely something that people have said for 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 a couple of years now is that tenzan's in rough shape and and you know but i guess he could still get out there and go you know i'm certainly hoping he's still entertaining and they put him in these tag matches and they're not super long matches and he has his different spots and everything which is fine i mean i don't want to see I'm not saying the guy should retire or anything like that. I'm just wondering how beat up he really is because he looks beat up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and obviously, you know, you just don't want him to get too beat up, basically. Uh, I did like his exchanges with Yano. Like, there, there was definitely that element of just like, I'm not putting up with this. Like, you, yeah. you, you're not you're not doing this to me. Uh, finish of the match was Ishii hitting the vertical brain buster on Hinare. Uh, which, I mean, I think we all saw coming. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I yet, I don't think I've seen Hanari in a match yet where he doesn't eat the pin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless um, there's a young line involved. Next up, we've got an eight-man tag match. This was actually, i got to be honest with you, this might have been one of my favorite matches on the card. Um, it was uh, Hiromu Takahashi. It, it was not, just so everybody knows, too, it was not an elimination match. Because no. there, was, there was an elimination match on each night of the card, but it were the main events. Right. So this is uh, Hiromu Takahashi, Bushi, Sanada, and Evil taking on El Desperado, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Davy Boy Smith Jr., and Lance Archer. Uh, so you've got some Los Ingobernables uh, taking on uh, Suzuki Goon. Um, and I just, yeah, I just really liked this. I thought that the, you know, one of the things that's, that was kind of interesting about this, um, just I think for newer fans to notice and to pick up on, is the way that they stagger the entrances. Um, yeah, I noticed that too. Like. It's. It, I like it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, for anybody that doesn't understand exactly what we mean, they don't introduce one whole team and then the other team. Like they would bring in, like say Hiromo. I don't know the order, but say it was Hiromo and Bushi. Yep. Then they then they would introduce Desperado and Kanemaru. Yep. Then they would go with Sonata and Evil. Like it was just, and they did that in both this and the main event, and they did it the next night. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've never seen that done before. Um, th- yeah, you know, and, and I thought this one had a lot of good heat. I thought it was, you know, it was a really nice brawl. 
Um, the Sonata and Desperado uh, interactions that took place were actually really cool, especially knowing that these guys, you know, that's not the matchup. You know what I mean? Like, the matchup here is Sonata yeah. and Evil and, and Davy Boy Smith and Lance Archer. But but there was some really cool interactions between Desperado and uh, Sonata. Um, you know, there was some eye-gouging, hair-pulling. He was, like, you know, trying to mess with Sonata's mohawk. It was, like, it was really yeah. cool. And Sonata was, a lot was of selling her. Oh yeah, yeah. And and I'm not like I, another team like I, thing that I wasn't real high on was KES, but they're coming around on me too. Like I, I, I'm starting to like them more and more, and I think they do well in these big tag matches. I love Lance Archer. Yeah, I, I just I'm, I'm he, a big I love Lance Archer. Was when he fan. came in, he, his new thing is scaring children. Yeah, he made, so, he made a little kid cry. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I'm a big fan of El Desperado and Kenamaro. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, just they're, think they're so technically sound and, and good at what they do. Hell, I mean they're the they're the junior tag champs for a reason, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, you know I think Hiromu and Bushi have have a good shot of taking those titles, but we'll see what happens. What's you know that said, Sonata's all of a sudden in love with the paradise lock. Oh yeah. Is that, did I miss something? Is there a reason he's doing this all of a sudden? Or is it just something Um, that he's added? Like, it seems like he's doing it constantly now. I don't know. I know, like, I know that he's been doing some things lately. Um, one of the things actually that I even wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, but trying to be a little time sensitive is that I know he's doing some of his moves recently, um, with, with Muda in mind, because, you know, obviously Muda just had his, um, his, his double knees. knee replacement yeah. surgery, um, but he's been doing he's been doing the Paradise Lock for a while. I mean, obviously that's something that he picked up from uh, uh, Milano Collection AT. But he's he, he's been doing it for about a year, I want to say. Yeah, it just seems, but he seems like he's doing it a lot more. Well, I, I you know that might just be the, that may honestly just be the sort of symptomatic of of, of New Japan and whole, uh, and especially the. You know, when you're looking at um, a lot of the guys having those submission finishers, I mean, they're, they're trying to get over the, the Cobra Clutch for, you know, um, Okada, for instance. And, uh, you know, and obviously with Zack Sabre being such a threat with all of those holes. I don't know. I honestly don't know um, the, the logic behind it. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it, it, like I said, I mean, there was just a lot of good stuff to love in this match. I and, mean, and let me ask you, is there anybody in the business with a better chop than Hiromu? No. Oh my God! For his size, their sound and look devastating. Yeah. And when he gets it, when he starts chopping away on somebody, you could see the effect on their chest. Yeah. Like he just lays into them. I mean, didn't he have that match with Osprey where Osprey's chest looked like it was yeah, hamburger he actually, afterwards? Like, like, yeah, he he did that. That was Osprey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think I mean Hiromu is 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 probably one of my favorite wrestlers right now. I mean, I I. I I, I don't have enough good things to say about. Yeah, I him, love Haramo. You know. um, but the so the match ends up uh, going down with uh, Bushi scoring a, a small package on Kanemaru uh, for the pin in 13 minutes 50 seconds, kind of out of nowhere. It was uh, it was a good finish, and and the the thing that was even better about it was the aftermath where Suzuki Goon just I mean just yeah they cleared beating, the ring and just yeah. beat the shit out of everybody. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there was one point where Archer choke slammed a young boy and David Boy Smith Jr. like just stepped on him. Just like, he didn't step on him, he stood on him. He literally just got on top of him and just stood there for like three seconds. Um, yeah. but I loved the interactions between the two teams. You know, I, I mean, obviously Sonata and Evil are the, are the IWGP tag champs and they're going to be facing, uh, KES, um, soon enough. And then of course you got the, the junior, uh, tag titles, 
the Desperado and Katamaru have, uh, you know, they're going to be taking on Takahashi and Bushi. And, and, and I just think that, you know, this was a perfect match to spotlight those two uh, matches in particular. Uh, it, again, a lot of people, you know, I've seen these questions asked a couple of times, like, do I need to watch these shows? Well, I mean, no, we don't need to watch these shows. But I think that you get a better appreciation overall by watching them. And sure, these aren't necessarily the blow-away six- and eight-man tags from all Japan in the early and mid-90s that, you know, wove into this whole big King's Road story in the same way. That said, they're still telling a story. And it's almost like it's almost like a movie where a director tells you, ah, I had to delete some scenes, but they're going to be on the DVD, and I consider those deleted scenes canon. You could almost look at some of this stuff as, like, deleted scenes that are canon. Well, and and not, not that I at all want to talk about WWE, but just for, for somebody's reference, you, you could watch just the pay-per-view shows in WWE and skip Raw and SmackDown, but you'll see guys in a match and not know why they're in a match or how they got to that point. Like... If, if you're going to watch all this, I mean, everything on these cards, too, is, is designed well to lead up to the bigger matches. Right. And so you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't want. No, like I know what you're saying. You have to sit down and watch all five nights. Maybe not. You know, well, but but to also to add to the comparison that you just made, I think that the that the thing that we can safely say for New Japan is that all of this makes sense. Whereas mm-hmm. on Raw, you're going to get a six man tag match or an eight man tag or a ten man tag match that literally makes no fucking sense at all. There's no reason to have the match. The outcome doesn't matter. It's just wasting time. These matches matter. The interactions matter. They're continuing to tell the story of the you know leading up to the big matches that are going to take place as big title matches. So I think the storytelling aspect of it is it, it's the same as like it's almost you know if, if I'm releasing a comic book series and it's a limited series like Secret Empire that Marvel did or something you can read the core like whatever that was eight issues yeah. uh, of just that mini series but if you want to get the full story read all the tie-ins too yeah you got to read all the ancillary stuff it's there for a reason exactly and you know speaking of being there for a reason next up we get the uh 10-man elimination tag This match. was a fun match. It really was. And I think that... Uh, let's go over the participants first. We got Kushida, Michael Elgin, David Finley, Juice Robinson, Hiroshi Tanahashi, taking on Will Ospreay, Yoshihashi, Jay White, Hiroki Goto, and um, Kazuchika Okada. Uh, man, um, yeah, this this match had a lot going for it. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that- we, we could spend all night just on this match, which we're obviously not going to, but it no. just, like, the way they paced it and thought it out, it was well done. And the big story of the match that, that I think was from beginning to end the highlight, the thing that they were pushing the most was the Finley-Jay White interaction. Yeah, and the funny thing is, though, like, they were pushing that the most, but if you're looking at this match, right, mm-hmm. look at the matches that we know we're getting out of this. We know we're getting Kushida versus Osprey for the junior t- junior title. Yep. We know we're getting Finley versus Jay White for the U.S. title. Yep. We know now we're getting Juice versus Goto for the Never uh, title. Yep. And we know we're getting Tanahashi versus Okada. So you have eight out of the ten participants in major title matches coming up. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like they were just randomly thrown together. Plus, it isn't like sometimes like you watch like WWE or whatever. Not that I'm going back to that. They'll just like kind of put guys together because they're facing off matches. I mean, these are like you have... Five guys from Chaos, so it makes yep. sense they'd be together. Yep. And you have Kashida, Kashida, Elgin, Finley, Juice, and Hiroshi Tanahashi all have ties to Taguchi, Japan. Exactly. So yeah. th- there's there's logic in, in why they're to put together exactly. and how they present it. Like, and like you said, the focus of the match was definitely the Finley-Jay White angle. But they were smart because they started the match out with Juice and Goto. Yeah. 
So that was, you know, they got that interaction to, bring, to put that in your mind. And so, then you have, like, the whole Jay White thing where he's just not being a team player at all. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and you know, one other thing I'll mention real quick is I'm pretty sure that at some point we're going to get a singles match between Elegant and Yoshihashi, which obviously doesn't have title implications. But, again, the fact that they're that they're clearly building something between the two of them, it, again, it's logic. It's good booking. It makes sense. Well, yeah, because if you look at the two shows together – he had a te- two each night ended with a ten man tag, right? Yep. Every single person in those matches, except Elgin and Yoshihashi, have a match against their corresponding opponent. Yeah. So and, it would just make sense that they're going to be in a match at some point. And how and how smart was it that for Kushida and Osprey and Tanahashi and Okada? We had double eliminations. Like Kushida yeah. and Osprey eliminated each other at, in 14 minutes and 44 seconds. Um, it would just, it, again, it just made, I don't know, it heightened the drama. But before we get to that, I do want to mention a couple things real quick that I thought were fantastic. First of all, Tanahashi has probably the best dragon screw in all of wrestling. I fucking love that dragon screw leg whip so much. Yeah, it is. Um, the, uh, the, all of the Tanahashi Okada interactions we got were very much down the middle. Like you didn't really get either one of them getting the better. Uh, of it's, the yeah, it's the old idea of almost like 50, 50 booking. They both came out none the worse for wear. Nobody looked dominant over the other. Right. One interaction that I absolutely loved, and, and I love it when they do stuff like this, is Will Ospreay was taunting the shit out of Tanahashi at one point. And it was, like, it, it was getting genuine heat from the crowd, and it was just, it was like, it was like, oh, oh, that's great. You know, here's the junior heavyweight champ taunting Tanahashi, the ace. You know, it was just some really good stuff. Um, especially after Osprey had that awesome match against Okada. Um so, so yeah, there was some really great stuff. Then there was the Kushida and Osprey square off. Man, the handspring stuff. Go. Oh, God. I mean, Kushida and Osprey are probably two of the best in the world, bar none. But, but I mean, not only are they two great, great wrestlers, it seems, like they, it seems like they have a natural chemistry and timing together. For sure. You know what I mean? Sometimes you could have two great wrestlers, and they can have a great match, but there's things that are slightly off, or they have to work. These two guys look like they were on the same page and knew exactly what they were doing right from the, right from the word go. Yeah, I, I yeah I couldn't agree more. Uh, one thought thing that I thought was really interesting is at one point, um, uh, Osprey went to do the. Uh, it's actually a um, an old tiger mask move. Um, the, the 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 you know the, the faint kick that he does off of the uh, off the ropes, which of course we all know as the six one nine. And the announcers called, called it, it the six one nine, which again is brilliant because it plays into the fact that Mysterio is going to be coming in to face these guys. Yeah, and I did catch like, that. Now I'm going to be honest. The second night. I was listening to music in my headphones, so I didn't catch anything in the second night, really. But I did catch, because, like, all of a sudden, you, you couldn't hear anything what they were, you didn't understand anything they were saying, and then you heard 619. Yeah. And, and again, it's just that... I don't know who said it. I don't know if it was Milano. No, yeah, I, I honestly, I can't tell the voices apart. I gotta be completely honest here. I just, I, I'm not there yet. Maybe I'll get there one day, but I, I just don't know them, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I think that... Uh, it's just, it goes back to the, the whole aspect of like, look, do you have to watch these shows? No, you don't. But why wouldn't you? Because you're getting these great bits of storytelling that not only are going to set up the big matches you're going to see in two weeks time, but you're getting stuff that's planting seeds for stuff you're going to see three, four months from now. Yeah. Um, so. so anyway, we get, uh, the double elimination, which again makes total sense. 
Uh, I asked the question at one point. I was like, "Do we really? Do we really want to see Michael Elgin and Yoshihashi? Like, is that a match that we need to see? Because it does seem like that that we're heading that direction." Uh, <laughs> Elgin ended up eliminating Yoshihashi uh, in 16 minutes and 46 seconds. Um, Goto ended up uh, eliminating Elgin in 17 minutes and 56 seconds. Uh, Juice Robinson then eliminated Goto in 20 minutes and 17 seconds. There was some good stuff going between the two of them. There was also some really good stuff with Goto and, and Elgin, I thought. Um, yeah. um, I'm, you know, I gotta be honest with you, and I know I'm in the minority here based on what I hear from a lot of people saying, I'm kind of on the fence with Juice. See, I like Juice. I don't dislike him, but I'm just like, I'm kind of, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about him where I guess when I watch him, it's kind of like similar but not the same to what you were saying but, about Hanari there's, early. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, just because everybody seems to be getting behind a wrestler doesn't mean you automatically have to. Exactly. No, that's a very, very good point. Very, very good point. It's important that you have your own favorites, that you're not always following the crowd. I mean, I think yeah, you that's don't what makes be, fandom uh, interesting. Sheep. Right, you know, exactly. There's exactly. guys that I like or guys that I don't like that I can't figure out. Like, I, There's people in wrestling and every promotion that people like and the fans get behind and I just can't figure out why. Right. You no, know, I and then there's people agree. that I get behind and I can't really explain why sometimes. Um, no, I, it's true. It's totally true. Uh, so then we've got Okada and Tanahashi stuff going on. It's great drama. I mean, it's awesome. Um, you know, White and Finley are clearly playing a part in all of this at the same time. Okada ends up eliminating Robinson in 20 minutes and 28 seconds right after he eliminates Goto. Um, Okada and Tanahashi end up eliminating each other at the same time in 22 minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, so we get down to Finley and Jay White are your final two wrestlers. And they go for four more minutes. Uh, They have some really good drama, some great teases. There's a beautiful German suplex by Finley, uh, and he ends up Eliminating Jay White, which Can I just is say, I loved great. the way he did it, though, because I love that he hit his, his finishing move. What is it called? Prima Nocta? Yep, Prima Nocta. Which is basically a stunner. But I loved how when he hit it, Jay White leaned back and was laying across the ropes. Yeah. Like he was out on his feet. The way I just thought that was a nice little touch. I completely and then he, agree. So he eliminates him. And um, it was wild. Like the, the way they built this all up for the payoff for Finley was great because. To be honest with you, like he he's been a, like a forgotten guy until now. Like he always he's another one of those guys that seemed like he was in the same boat with Hadari, like almost one little step above a young lion. Yeah. Like always like when's the last time you can remember Finley winning anything? Not not being on the member of a team who won, but winning anything. Yeah. Until now. No, I completely agree. And I think and, that and his... they did a great job because they instantly now like I I can't wait to see that match. I completely agree. And and the thing that they've done is that they've taken him from being somebody that just looked like, oh, he's challenging Jay White. That's the next guy that Jay White's going to beat, you know, to, to, to retain the title. That's what it honestly looked like at first. Now, I'm not so sure. And that's not, I mean, I still think, like, if I had to call it, if somebody was to say, like, you have to tell me who's going to win this match, I'm probably going to call it Jay White. Yeah, I mean, but I'm I don't not want a huge fan of predictions. I, well... You know, I, I don't mean that bad. Like I would say the same thing. I think Jay White keeps it, but I kind of like as just from a fan point of view, I want to see Finley win. Me too. I want to see him well, get the belt and have a little run and, and let him do his thing and see how it goes. I agree. And the thing is, is that his post match promo was really well done. His, yeah. you know, the the backstage promo that he did after that was really well done. Finley's got yeah. They're they're putting some fire underneath of him, and and I love it. And I thought it was a great way to end night one. Um, Which, I liked it. It was a good show. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's just 
you know, set everything up. So then we get to night two. Yes. Which is and, also on Corican Hall. Yep. And we've got, we open again with the Young Lions match. This time it's Narita and Suji. Uh, Narita gets the win with the uh, Boston Crab in eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, you know, it, Suji was, was selling the back really well, especially post-match. Um, and Narita has some really good fire, snug holds. I mean, it was, you know, it's kind of your standard Young Lions match, but they told a nice story. How about when, when um, Suji slapped Narita right upside the face twice. Did you catch that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I, 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 I don't know how to explain it other than he bitch slapped him twice. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And it was it was definitely a case of just sort of like... It, I, it drew an audible reaction from the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and, 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 I mean, yeah, it was... Oh God. I mean, again, I just love these Young Lions matches. I really do. I mean... You know, to me, it's you can see an eight-minute match anywhere else in the world, and it's probably not going to be as solid as these eight-minute matches are, uh, or tell as good of a story as these eight-minute matches do. It's like if you want to have an eight-minute match, this is how you do an eight-minute match. Um, and and so yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I think Narita getting the win here was perfect. Um, you know, it's interesting to see how again some of the young lions, you know, they're going to eat a pinfall in a, in a in a tag match, and they're going to come back the next night and they're going to pick up a win in a young lions match, and yeah. it just it made sense. And it worked. Yeah. Um, then we get to the second match, which is Yuji Nagata versus Shota Umino. Yes, uh, which um, was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, Umino started the match fast, like he came out of, like a bull in a china clo- closet, it. right on yeah. the shoot. How about when Nagata? There was a point early on in the match, maybe a minute in, when he was just kicking the shit out of his back. Yeah, well, so, so here's oh, the thing. The man, notes, now I, you know, it was just brutal sounding. It was, and, and some of the notes that I made about the, the match were that, you know, Umino, the thing that was great about what he did at the top of the match is, like, he knows to stand a chance against Nagata, he's going to have to get him, and he's going to have to get him quick. And so, again, that psychology that comes into play of just, like, I got to do this, and I got to do this fast, and I got to, you know, just throw these bombs at him and get him into a position where I can get him down and then see what happens. But, again, Nagata being Nagata, like you said, he, he fires off those kicks i mean it's yeah it was a brutal uh he just established his dominance right away now umino had this great moment though where he escaped that arm bar which i thought was fantastic um you know again it's just you know this nice fighting is that when he escaped out and then hit the the double leg drop kick right after it yep yeah, uh, and it, but he kept selling the arm, which was great. Uh, he hit a German at one point, which was nice, makes a little comeback. Didn't last, obviously. Uh, Nagata ends up uh, locking in the Nagata lock two for the tap out in six minutes and 58 seconds. Um, you know, it was it was great. It was nice. Yeah, it was a nice short match really, overall. It, did exactly what it should have done. Yeah, and it, again, it told a nice story with, you know, the veteran just being able to, to outwork, basically, the young lion, even though the young lion was showing a lot of fire and, uh, and fighting spirit. So, I, yeah, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was good, uh, did what it needed to do. Uh, next up, we got a six-man, which is uh, Tetsuhiro Yagi, Tiger Mask, Hiroshi Tenzan uh, against Tomoyuki Oka, uh, Ryusuke Toguchi, Manabu Nakanishi. Um the interesting thing about this one, uh, I mean, just skip to the finish, in 10 minutes and 7 seconds, is Oka gets the Boston Crab on Yagi uh, for the win. And usually in these multi-man tag matches with the Young Lions... Yeah, it's a veteran that yeah. gets a Young Lion. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, they also they, they let Oka and, and Yagi start the match. Yes. So that was, that was nice. You know, so they had their moment in the beginning and at the end. And how great was Yagi's fallaway slam that he hit? I thought that was, oh. I thought that was beautiful. 
Um, and then you had a part in the middle where uh, Nakanishi and Tenzan just, like, beat the crap out of each other. Yeah. They weren't doing much but standing there and hitting each other, but they were beating the crap out of each other. Yeah. No, I I, I agree. I, you know, and, and I think another thing that was interesting, too, after the win um, was that uh, Oka you know, showed a lot of respect to Nakanishi and to Gucci uh, after the match. And I thought it was a really subtle bit of storytelling because Nakanishi had beat Oka on the day before, and now yeah. they're on the same team on the card. So I, I, I thought that was a really nice moment. And that's another thing you'll see a lot of the young Lions often bowing to the crowd or, you know, or, or to the, you know, to the veterans in the ring. Uh, a and nice little thing I, I like that, too. Uh, yeah, a nice little thing I liked is before Oka got the Boston Crab, made Yagi tap, Right before that, Yagi had Oka in a Boston Crab. Yeah. Yes, Oka was able to get point. to the ropes. And then as soon as, it, as soon as the break, I forget, he had like one move and then instantly got revert, like put him in, he put uh, Yagi in the Boston Crab and got him to tap. Yeah. So they, they both had their moment at the end. So all in all, it was nice. Nice match. Yeah. It was exactly what you thought it would be. Right. And then next up. Ugh. The Jeez, first note I have, and I said it on the first night, is I just have written, I hate Azuka. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing he that's going to make you like Yo's, him in this one. He bit Yo's ass. Yeah, yeah. I don't like just when I thought he couldn't take the biting to the uh, to another level, he bit the guy's ass. Yeah. No, he you did. Know. He did. Hey, but at least we got to see Rocky Romero's multiple clotheslines. Yes. Uh, spot. You know. Uh, I, yeah, I like yeah. most of these matches if it wasn't for Azuka because I do like watching Taka. Like you said earlier, we went through that, and, and I, I like Tai Chi. I think Tai Chi's had a pretty good two month stretch here, where his his in ring work has picked up. Yeah, you know the interesting thing about about both of the, these matches over the two nights that that I thought was kind of uh, strange is that Show and Yo, who seem to be kind of like made guys, and they're by no means going anywhere. I'm not I'm not trying to imply that you know, oh well, they're clearly done with them now, but they've not. They've not had a lot of showcasing of their skills. It's been kind They're of cool. Yeah, cooled. and and I don't. And again, I don't think that that's any indication of them. You know, not not end up being a dominant force with the junior tag titles. I mean, clearly they're behind them, but they yeah they've cooled them off a little bit. Uh, My guess on that would simply be that they're they're building up and they want to continue the storyline of Lij basically at war with Suzuki Goon. Yeah. So it makes more sense to get the junior tag titles in that mix. So they're all going for a title. Right. I would think that after that story runs its course, you're going to see Sho and Yo right back in the junior tag title division uh, mix. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, not 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 a lot. How good more. are their double team moves? Oh God, no! They're both. That's the thing. I mean, they're both fantastic individually and the double team stuff. You're right. I mean, some but of the double just team so stuff smooth is smooth and quick. Yeah. Like, both of them are quick. Like I even wrote how quick I thought Yo was, but. I mean, the things they do together, they just seem natural. They, they you know what I mean? It, they just, they work so well together. I, I mean, mean, they should. They've been together for a while now. You know, I, I, even on excursion, they were together. But right. I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost a little sad that we, you know, that that, that it's likely we're not going to get, you know, any more show and yo versus the Young Bucks matches. You know what I mean? Like, because those four guys, and especially when it comes to the double team maneuvers, I mean, you know, you got two guys who are brothers and just incredible and, you know. No, not I, I get exactly said, what you're saying. You like, know. I wanted the Young Bucks to move up to the heavyweight division, but it's almost like I wish they waited a little bit longer because, like you said, th- those matches they had were so good. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many different matches. I mean, the junior tag division right now is stacked. Between the El Desperado and Kenamaro's team, you have Bushi and Hiromu together. Plus show and yo still. I mean, there's so many different ways they could go. 
Absolutely. And, and clearly, I mean, we're going to see, you know, some of the young lions, uh, uh, returning from excursion, you know, at some point in the next year. Uh, so you could see some more, you know, juniors coming into the division. Uh, yeah, soon, I, I'm looking know. forward to, um, he's on excursion and he looked great as a young lion. Was it Quato? Quato. Yeah, absolutely. Quato I was just reading, solid. He's, he's been, he's been doing mostly, I mean, almost exclusively multi-man stuff. Where is he? CMLL? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Tai Chi gets the win with the super kick after oh, rips that his looks pants so off. so nice, too. It I don't know if really he good. hit it so nice or if um, Sho just sold it so nice. But, it, like, the way it took him right off of his feet and flattened him looked great. I think it was a combination. I think they both, they just, they're both great workers and it looked great. And, and you know, Tai Chi gets the win on Sho. Um, next up, we have your favorite. Well, that, did, did you catch, too, right after Tai Chi got all, right over to commentary? Yes, yeah. And then Milano, Milano Collection did not look happy. No. But he did the, I think he did the whole rest of the show. He did. I, I couldn't tell because I can't tell their voices. But uh, like I said, I had a head, headphones on listening to music. But I think after the last match, they showed him getting out, off uh, the commentary table. Well, he, well, if I'm not mistaken, he actually, uh, he handed, yeah, later on in the, in the elimination match, he actually handed KES a chair. Uh, oh, that's right. Yes, we did. Booth. Yeah. So next up, we've got Hanare and uh, Makabe taking on Yano and Ishii. Um, I mean, it's basically the same match as the night before, only yeah. you have Makabe instead of Tenzan. Exactly. And that's really all we can say. <laughs> it, had a, it had a very similar, very similar, like, everything about it seemed almost the same. Um, you know, I mean, they Ishii... brought outside, you know, the turnbuckle pad came off, shockingly. Um, Ishii looked a little bit more like a dick in this match. Yeah. Um, when he was kind of like with his foot when he was kicking um, Toanari yeah, in the head. I wrote, the I wrote that, yeah. Ishii was mean with those little kicks to the head. That's literally yeah. what I wrote. Yeah. Um, um, and then, like, not trying to skip ahead, but after the match, because uh, he hit the vertical right, brain buster again on Hanari. And then Hanari was staggered and was having trouble getting up. And, it, and he got to Ishii, like, to pull himself up on him. And it looked like for a second Ishii was going to help him up. And then Ishii just clobbered him. Yeah. Yeah, I actually wrote Hanare is dead. Um, and the young boys, the young boys had to help him to the back. You know, he, like you said, he couldn't get up. He could, you know, it was, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, what else can we say? It was, it was it a match. Is. It happened. It was yeah. 10 minutes, 37 seconds. Ishii putting Hanare away with the vertical brain buster uh, for the yeah. pinfall. Um, next up, we've got an eight-man tag, which is a great variation off of the elimination main event from the night before with Kushida, Michael Elgin, David Finley, Juice Robinson, taking on Osprey, Yoshihashi, Jay White, and Hiroki Goto. So basically, it's the same participants, only no uh, Okada or Tanahashi. Exactly. Which is exactly. fine. Yeah, um, yeah. Did you notice, too, like, I don't know, like, his ring gear is the same, but it seems like when Finley now comes to the ring, he has a slightly different look. Like, yeah. I don't know if you caught it. Like, and I like it. He had a bandana on. He had a, like more, his jacket was was different. Yeah, like, I, anything I, they can do to, inf- to to get a little bit more like I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Like he, get some charisma out of him. Well, I think that you know it's the standard thing that you see in New Japan um, when you have a young lion or you have somebody new that's come in and you keep adding bits to their gear. I mean, hell, you even look at Juice now and his ring gear has kind of been. Uh, you know, amped up a bit as well. Um, so I think Finley getting pushed more into the spotlight is just, you know, yeah, you make him look more like a star, make him look more like he stands out, and that's just the one way to do it. Um, and and uh, one thing I did like about this is the night before they had Juice and Goto start the match. Well, to this time they had Finley and Jay White start. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and you know, again, there was just a lot of great stuff in here, and and I, I, you know, one of the things that I even typed is that man, we are in such a treat when we get Kushida and Osprey again because they already. I mean, just the stuff that they're showing you within these tag matches. Again, people want to ask, should I watch these shows? It's like, yeah, watch these shows because you're going to see shit like this. And again, not only are is it just fun to watch the two of them in the ring together, but they're also planting seeds because what happened at some point? Osprey hurts his neck. And all of a sudden, which plays off of the brutal frickin' move with Skrull, you know, at the Spanish fly off the apron yeah. that he botched. Like, it's so frickin' beautiful the way that they're doing the storytelling. You know, and the way they presented that was was good because at first, you almost had a question, did he really get hurt? Yeah. Like, this is the way they did it. Um, I did like in this match, too, you had the, the section early on where I think Osprey was in the match. In fact, yeah, Osprey was in the match when Jay White got involved. Yeah. And they all looked at him like, what? are you doing and then he got back into the like outside the ring and as soon as osprey said something to him he just kind of tagged him tagged his shoulder and got in yeah and they were all looking like what the hell and because later on the match he left for a while yeah yeah he did you know? so so uh, they're definitely planting the seeds there they've been planting it since day one but you know jay white at sooner or later is going to turn on chaos yeah without a doubt I, I mean i think that you know putting him in chaos to begin with was just sort of arbitrary you know it was it was it, it was kind of uh, you know, they wanted some place for him to go. He wanted some place to go, but it's never been a perfect fit. And I think that, you know, they're telling that story really well. Which was smart. Um, like, even at the press conference where he got in- introduced to it, he made it known it wasn't a perfect fit. It was right. a marriage of convenience. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, One so, thing, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, uh, yeah, there was some really, really great... Uh, jockeying for position from all the pairings, you, you know, anytime anybody was in, the, there was no like clear cut, like, oh yeah, this guy's gonna kick this guy's ass, which I really enjoyed. Um, there was some, you know, uh, Goto, uh, w- you know, was able to kind of take down Juice, but then Elgin was able to take down Goto, but then Yoshihashi came yeah. in, and you know, and so it was really kind of interesting the way that everything played out. Um, and normally, like a lot of times when I take notes on these matches, I don't really write down moves. I just write down things that I'm noticing anything. But I did write down, did you notice it was the, I don't even know how exactly to describe it. Elgin was on the outside on the apron when he like did the slingshot neck breaker. Oh, yeah. That's amazing for a man his size to do it with the, like as fluid as he did. Lucha Elgin. Oh, man, that's an amazing move. For anybody, yeah. But for a man his size to do that was, I was impressed. Look, you know, all the, and all nobody, the... any any critiques we've ever had of Elgin, it never is in ring work. No, exactly. That's just great as getting ready to say. Um, so anyway, yeah, Elgin does get the win on this one actually with the Elgin bomb on Yoshihashi. Um, you know, there was just some good fire from all, great heat from the crowd. Uh, you know, you come I away really from like this. There was a point where Will Osprey, I think Juice was coming off the top rope, and he did this like jumping European uppercut. Did you did you catch that? No, I must have missed it. Yeah, well, it was quick, but it was it was devastating looking. It, 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 like you know, it was a small move, but the way they did it was just really nice looking. Yeah, um, and, and and I say it all the time. I like Yoshihashi's in ring work, but he needs something. They need to change his character up a little bit. Like I, I don't know, whatever he's doing doesn't work. But then you see him in the ring, and he's a really good worker. So right. Yeah, I agree. Though there is something, there is something missing there, and 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 hopefully, hopefully, you know, he'll get it because it's weird. You know, sometimes I almost feel bad for him because he doesn't have it. You know, there is something about the the pathos that he draws for me. Uh, the post match stuff was was fantastic with White running back into the ring and hitting the Blade Runner on Finley. Uh, again, they're really building that feud very well. Uh, yeah, it's been a even focus. the score a little bit, you know. Yeah, and it's been a focus of these, you know, these first two cards, which I really enjoy. Uh, next up, we well, get... wait. Before we get to the match, at some point we need—I don't know if they ran it in this spot or the match between. 
But both nights, there's a certain vignette that's been running. Oh, the Bone Soldier. Yeah, I skipped over it. My apologies. I skipped over it uh, on accident. The Bone Soldier Returns commercial. Um, or a vignette, rather. So... Uh, yeah, going back to, you know, I, I think it's just as simple as literally it's him. It's not another wrestler in the gimmick. I think it's literally they're just bringing him back. Why and what for? Who the hell knows? I, I mean, I think a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads on this one. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what they I, do. I was hoping it's like Quato coming back, but that'd be too soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I was just, we'll see what it is. Did you see any of the, um, I was laughing, the tweets about it from Bullet Club members? Yes. <laughs> Some of them were great. Like, oh, yeah. Cody just put, you're welcome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Kenny's and, were pretty great. And, what did yeah. Kenny put? He put something about, like, you know how much Cody loves his mascots. Yep, that's exactly what he said. Um, Bad Luck Valet put, maybe he can help us with our current leadership situation. Yep. There was just some funny stuff. Like, I, you know, hopefully they, they, they do something with it. I mean, the way they, they ran the vignettes two nights in a row, it definitely makes you think they're planning something. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, they're definitely... That's why yeah. I wonder if it's a different wrestler. Yeah, you know, the thing is, is some people are pointing to the fact that it says Bone Soldier returns as it's like it's literally him coming back. Uh, you know, other people, it's, you know, it's unclear. I, I mean, we, look, we're going to find out. And, and I'm sure just based off of the, the impact that, like, Takahashi made and, and Jay White made. And, you know what I mean? They're going to do something cool with it because the last couple of times we've gotten vignettes like this, it's, it's led to some cool stuff. So, um, mm. so I think, yeah, I think I, it's going to be what it's going to be. I don't, I, I literally have no clue. You know, I just, I don't, I'm waiting yeah, to be surprised. Well, you're like us, like the rest of us. We have no idea. <laughs> All right, um, well, now we get to the main event. Yeah, Suzuki-Goon. elimination match. Yep, Suzuki-Goon taking on Los Ingobernables de Apon. Um, you've got uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr., El Desperado, Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Uh, Bushi, Evil, Hiromu Takahashi, Sonata, and Tetsuya Naito. Um, you know... <sighs> It's interesting because, in some ways, I I almost liked the match and the way everything played out. This one better than the elimination match from the night before, um, in spite of the fact that we didn't get the same wrestling that we got from the main event from the night before. Well, yeah, we this had a lot more like brawling. Yeah, this was just a fight, you know, and, and that's the thing. And Suzuki and Naito were the perfect illustration of, of what this feud is, you know? I mean, they were fighting in and out of the ring. They you know, they didn't give a shit about winning a match. They just wanted to beat the hell out of one another. Well, that was evident, too, that Naito basically eliminated himself to get Suzuki out, and then, like, the smile on his face when he did it was priceless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the, you know, we get the Suzuki-Goon antics you know, outside to start the match with Tai Chi getting involved from the announce table, <laughs> handing uh, Archer the chair. Um, the, you know, the Suzuki Naito stuff was great. I mean, Suzuki. How was about when Naito slapped Suzuki in the back of the head to break up the, the, the pin? Yeah. That was just hilarious how he just like nonchalantly slapped him. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. And, and there was a great moment too where, you know, Naito looked like he might've been in a little trouble, but he got his toes on the rope, but it was just so. Oh, when, he, was, when he put his light feet under and held himself from falling Yeah, he was back literally holding himself with like his toes basically to, to keep from falling out of the ring. It was wonderful. Uh, I thought it was a great spot. Um, and then we get the, you know, the, the more the brawling outside. It's Suzuki's domain though, of course, and he gets the edge. Um, we get Smith and Evil inside fighting, Archer, you know, some double teaming. Uh, and then, of course, you know, KES starts threatening red shoes when they don't get the fall. Um, there were some great teases out of the ring with Suzuki and Naito again. Just the, you know, the, the, all the stuff with the chairs and the, you know, there was just some good stuff going on there. 
Um, you know, it was interesting because the the early sort of earlyish elimination, if you will, um, of the two of them, it seemed to kind of kill the crowd a little bit. Like yeah. the crowd was at like a was you know was getting really hyped up, and then all of a sudden when they realized that Suzuki and Naito were out of the match, it was sort of like oh, and but so then deflated they got back. stuff. They did. They that's I was, that's what I was just getting ready to say. Um, and so it, you know they continued to brawl on the outside, and were still kind of the focus. Even the camera was on them um, in spite of what was going on in the ring. Uh, Suzuki killed a young boy because of course he did. Well, and then uh, I think it was was it who did he kill? Was it Yagi? No, oh, I'm not sure honestly. Usually it's my boy Oka always takes a beating when Suzuki's around. <laughs> um, and then, you know, back in the ring, um, we had a fucking sweet-ass move from Sonata when he does the moonsault into the dragon sleeper. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was awesome. So um, who, the, the first person, what, eliminated was Bushi, I believe? Uh, right, yes. Kanemaru, Kanemaru. Kanemaru, like, pushed the ref and then low-blowed him and pinned Bushi. Yep. And yep. then Naito, right after, low-blows... Kanemaru and pins right. him. So Kanemaru uh, eliminated Bushi in 8 minutes and 35 seconds. Naito uh, pins Kanemaru in 9 minutes and 13 seconds. Naito and Suzuki eliminated each other in 11 minutes and 47 seconds. And then Sonata ends up eliminating Davy Boy Smith in 14 minutes, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, Archer then almost Archer immediately goes, takes Yeah, but Sonata. he eliminates two guys, right? Yeah, that's, I was actually took note of that too. Archer eliminates Sonata and Evil. Um, uh, Sonata in 1457 and then Evil in 1701 um, and then we get some really great stuff here uh, so Hiromu is the last LIJ member left um, but he ends up getting the elimination after he like racks Archer on the middle well, row I just want to say right before that too I have in my notes here I put Archer destroys Hiromu with the clothesline <laughs> I don't know if you remember that move because everything yeah. was happening so fast, but I mean, he looked like his head was going to fly off. Oh yeah, no, Archer's great. I mean, I, I like Archer is the perfect. Like, he embodies that big, you know, evil guy Jin sort of model that you've got going back to guys like you know Hanson and Brody, and you know what I mean. He's got that that vibe about him, uh, and I feel like he has. He's just gotten even better. His presence has grown so much uh, since they came back. Since KES kind of came back to New Japan, uh, they, they've just, in my opinion, they've been operating at an even better level than they were before. Yeah. Um, and then we get the Whiskey Mist from Kanemaru, uh, which leads to the pin by Desperado to eliminate Hiromu uh, in 22 minutes and 5 seconds. Um, then there was some really great brawling between the two junior teams to help set up the match. Uh, it, you know, again, it's interesting because they're really focusing on the matches that are coming up sooner, helping to tell those stories. You know, clearly it's the focus is on the junior tag team titles in spite of the fact that you've got the big money match with Naito and Suzuki uh, for the Intercontinental title. So it's, you know, again, it's just excellent storytelling. Well, yeah, and speaking of upcoming matches, I'm real quick here. I think we could run down the three remaining nights, just the cards. I don't think for the most part we have to really delve into about them because we've been talking about it all, like the, the feuds. But just so everybody knows, like the first night, you uh, the next night you have is Monday the 23rd, and you have 
it starts out with your typical young lion match. You have uh, Narita well, and no. Wait Suji. a minute, though. Wait a minute, though. We're skipping the results of the other two. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. That, right. You know what? I forgot there was two nights that yeah. weren't televised. Correct. So we've got yeah, we've got two untelevised nights. Why don't you just Taku. blow through them? We don't have to really discuss them too much. Agreed. So uh, night uh, night three, uh, Narita uh, defeats uh, Uemura with uh, Boston Crab in eight minutes and ten seconds. Uh, then Umino takes out Yoda Suji with the Boston Crab in 8 minutes and 33 seconds. Then we had a six-man tag with Tenzan, Taguchi, and Tiger Mask defeating Nakanishi, Yagi, and Nagata in 11 minutes and 18 seconds with the Dodon uh, from Taguchi over Yagi. Another six-man tag with Chaos, represented by Rapongi 3K, Rocky Romero, Sho, and Yo, defeating Suzuki-Gun, um, Taichi, Takamichinoku, and uh, Izuka, of course, by disqualification. Uh, the disqualification came uh, with Taka on show. I, I honestly, I don't know exactly what the you know the implications were, but uh, then we've got Chaos um, represented by uh, Ishi, Yano, Osprey, and Yoshihashi beating Kushida, Elgin, uh, Makabe, and Oka. Um, when Yoshihashi gets the butterfly lock on Oka, poor Oka. And uh, <laughs> Oka is going to be just fine. Trust me. No, yeah, I know. Uh, then we've got Suzuki Goon, uh, which is going to be uh, Kes and El Desperado and Kanemuro and Suzuki uh, defeating uh, Lij, represented by Bushi, Evil, Takahashi, Sonata, and Naito in 14 minutes and 40 seconds. When Suzuki gets the Gotch pile driver on Bushi, uh, and then the main event was the eight-man tag team match. With uh, Finley, Tanahashi, and Juice, uh, and Hinare, uh, beating Chaos, represented by Ghetto, uh, Goto, uh, Jay White, and Okada in 14 minutes and 55 seconds, when Finley hits the Prima Nocta on Ghetto. So, you know, again, Finley's, you know, building that steam. Um, nice. Night four, we've got Yagi over Uemura in 6 minutes and 6 seconds. Uh, one thing that I, you know, I noticed on this one, I, I looked at the highlight pictures a little bit, um, and it was interesting because some of the highlight pictures of this match specifically showed, you know, Yagi like targeting the back, uh, you know, setting up the crab with like a big body slam, stuff like that. So uh, I thought that was just kind of notable. Uh, Oka then defeats Suji in six See, minutes. See, I told you Oka was going to be all right. <laughs> right. Uh, um, Oka was actually in the crab. It looked like two separate times based on the highlights, but came back and applied his own for the win. Uh, then we've got uh, Taguchi, Tiger Mask, and Hanare defeating Nakanishi, Narita, and Nagata. When Hanare uh, hits the Toa bottom on Narita, um, you know, it, it, again, it was that interesting dynamic based on the highlight photos that I could see. It looked like Narita really wanted to get that tag from Nagata to try and get the win, but Hanare was able to come back and beat him. Um, you know, just telling, continuing to tell that young lion story, you know, where they've got all this, you know, impulsiveness and brashness and they really just want to get that win. But there's that dose of humility that, you know, that they still have to, to, to learn there. Uh, Rapongi 3K takes is, on. Is his finishing move? No, I'm sorry. I just got to ask a question. Yeah. Is his finishing move really called Toa Bottom? It really is. And it's literally the rock bottom. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, oh, just another reason now I don't like Hanari. But like. It's just a, a terrible sounding name, and, and yeah. it's, like I don't even care that it's the same move because you know Prima Nocta is a stunner. Like there's only so many moves, right? But just just a terrible name. No, I agree. I absolutely agree with you. Um, so next up, we've got um, Chaos, which is represented by Rapongi 3K, Rocky Romero, Show and Yo, defeating Suzuki Goon, represented by Taichi, uh, Takamichinoku, and Izuka. 
the weird thing about this is, is actually you know what hang on I might have that wrong I am really sorry I do have that wrong um, it looks like it was actually sorry I'm just trying to pull up the results real quick so I can get this right I have the results up. What are we looking for? Oh, no, it was. Okay, I'm sorry. I was, was yeah. Taka got disqualified on show uh, again. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so then we've got the uh, the eight-man tag match uh, with Goto, Ishii, Yano, and Yoshihashi representing Chaos, defeating Juice Robinson, Michael Elgin, Shota Umino, and Toji Makabe. Uh, Yoshihashi gets the jumping powerbomb on Umino. Um, then you got the 10-man tag with L.I.J., Bushi, Evil, Takahashi, Sonata, and Naito, beating Suzuki-Gun, uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr., El Desperado, Lance Archer, Minoru Suzuki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Uh, Naito uh, is over Kanemaru with Destino. Uh, it looks like there was a lot more great interactions between Naito and Suzuki, brawling on the outside, submissions from Suzuki. Uh, it looks like that the, the end, the, after the finish of the match, Naito did the pose in the ring, uh, like right at the rope, staring at Suzuki, and the young boys were like all, you know, trying to hold Suzuki back, so it looks like that was a really good moment. Um, And then we finish up with an eight-man tag team match. David Finley, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroshi Tenzan, Kushida, defeating Chaos, represented by Gato, uh, Jay White, Kazuchika Okada, and Will Ospreay in 14 minutes and 46 seconds. Kushida over Gato with the hoverboard lock. Um, you, you know, it looks like there was a long stretch of Tenzan and Okada, which I thought was interesting. Uh, and then Tanahashi, Okada, Kushida, Osprey, uh, and some some good Finley and White hate in there too. Uh, before Kushida got the win, so those are the other two nights. I know we just no, blasted there's a third through night. those, but there's a, there's another set of results from this morning. Oh, they just they must have gone up just within yeah. just recently. Here, I have them up. I can blow through them real quick. You have um, Narita defeated. Uh, Suji with the Boston Crab at 7 minutes 50 seconds. Second match was uh, Yumino defeated Yumora, also with the Boston Crab, 7 minutes 35 seconds. Um, the third match was Toa Hanari, Tiger Mask, and Tenzan versus Yagi, Nakanishi, and Yuji Nagata. And it ended in 10 minutes and 35 seconds with my favorite move, the Toa Bottom. <laughs> um, so he, he got y- y- Yagi in that move. Um, and again, there's no photos up with it yet, so I can't really tell you if I see anything. Right. Just the results. Um, the fourth match was uh, Rapongi 3K, Show Yo and Rocky versus Suzuki Goon's team of Michitaka, Michinuku, Tai Chi, and Azuka. And it ended the same way. Uh, Taka got disqualified on Show yep. at 11 minutes 30 seconds. The fifth match was you have the Chaos team of Yoshihashi, Will Osprey, Yano, and Ishii. Um, they went up against. Oka, Kushida, Elgin, and Makabe. It ended in 12 minutes and 47 seconds when Yoshihashi tapped out Oka in the butterfly lock. Um, uh, here's another match where it's El Desperado, Kanemaru, David Boy Smith Jr., Lance Archer, and Suzuki went up against uh, Hiromu, Takahashi, Bushi, Sonata, Evil, and Naito. And it ended in t- 13 minutes, 27 seconds when Naito hit a, um, a Destino on Kanemaru. And then the last match was Taguchi, Finley, Juice, and Tanahashi, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, that is, versus Ghetto, Jay White, Hiroki Goto, and Okada. And it ended with David Finley hitting the Prima Nocta on uh, Ghetto 
in 15 minutes and two seconds. Yeah. So a lot of repetition, obviously, on these non-televised ones, uh, but mm-hmm. clearly they're still you know, going to be building the stories. But yeah, that's, that's where we are uh, with what's happened so far. Now, uh, Paul, why don't you run down what's, what's coming next? What's to come? Monday, April 23rd is the next televised show from Corican Hall. We have, and again, it's going to be a lot of repetition at this point, but we have Narita versus Suji. Um, the second match is Manabu Nakanishi, Yuji Nagata, and Hiroyoshi Tenzan take on Yagi, Umino, and Oka. So you have three veterans taking on the three young lions. So we know who's going to win that match. It's just a question of who's eating the pin. The third match, again, and they must have done this match the whole tour, is Rapongi 3K of Shoyo and Rocky taking on Taka, Taichi, and Azuka. Um, let's see. Then you have... Kushida, Tohanari, Michael Elgin, and Makabe, uh, and Juice Robinson taking on Will Osprey, Yoshihashi, Yano, Ishii, and Goto. The fifth match is Taguchi, Finley, and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Ghetto, Jay White, and Kazuchika Okada. Um, let's see, the sixth match, you have Sonata, Evil, and Naito versus Davy Boy Smith, Lance Archer, and Suzuki in a six-man tag. Um, and then the seventh match is actually the highlight. It's on Monday. It is Hiromu and Bushi take on El Desperado and Kanemaru for the junior tag titles. So the junior tag titles headline the, the, the next night, which is the 23rd. Then we go into it the next night after that, which is the 24th. You get Yagi and Narita again. You get Umino and Tenzan take on Oka and Nagata. Uh, the third match is Rapongi 3K. Show Yo and Rocky versus Taka Tai Chi and Azuka, and they must be running that match every night of the card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it looks um, like it. Then the third, the, the next match is Kushida, Tohanari, Elgin, and Makabe versus Ishii, uh, Yano, Yoshihashi, and Osprey. Again, we have the 10 man match of all the members of LIJ versus Desperado, Kanemaru, Davy Boy Smith, Lance Archer, and Suzuki. Um, there's a six man tag match with Taguchi, Juice, and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Okada, Goto, and Gato. Ghetto. And then the highlight of the second night here of this next batch, the first night was the junior tag titles on Monday. Tuesday coming up is Finley versus Jay White in the U.S. Heavyweight Championship match, which we I know we both really, really want to see that match. Yeah. So, like I said, the next three matches, you have the junior tags headlining Monday show. The 23rd. The 24th show is the junior, or is the, I'm sorry, the U.S. title match. Then the last night is the um, Friday, the 27th, we get Yagi versus Narita, Umino, Oka, and uh, Yuji Nagata versus Taguchi, Tiger Mask, and Jushin Thunder Liger. Then we have, again, Sho, Yo, and Rocky versus Taka, Taichi, and Azuka. Um, a lot of these are just the same matches, but Tohanari, Michael Elgin, Togi Makabe, and David Finley versus Yoshihashi, Yano, Ishii, and Jay White. Um, I'm getting sick of saying this match, but it's all five members of LIJ versus El Desperado, Kanemaru, Davy Boy Smith, Lance Archer, and Suzuki. Then it gets a little, ch- it changes up a little bit. The last night of the Road Two shows on the 27th, we have the Never Open Way title match is the semi main. It's Hiroki Goto uh, defends the belt against Juice Robinson, and then the last match of that is Kushida and Tana Hiroshi Tanahashi take on Will Osprey and Kazuchika Okada, which is great because it's setting up both the title matches that are going to appear on the main nights of the Wrestling Taku cards. Yeah, which I'm really looking forward to, to that tag match. I think that tag match will be a hell of a lot of fun. 
Yeah, so, I mean, basically, there's three nights. So everything, you know, is set up. We know what the matches are. Um, I don't think we have to preview the actual two-night main, main cards yet. We could get to that next episode. Yeah. Because sure. that's a lot of, a lot of, we just threw it, everybody. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you can go see all the stuff on NJPW1972.com. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not really going over anything that's not already there, but just pretty for, much, you know. Yeah, and pretty much those three nights, the matches, the undercards are almost all the same. It's just that the headlining matches, I mean, basically, in a nutshell, without going over everything, Monday the 23rd is when you get the junior tag title match. Tuesday the 24th is when you get the Jay White uh, Finley US match. And then on the 27th, you get. Uh, the tag, or the title match between Goto and Juice for the Never Open, and you get that really nice uh, tag match of Okada and Osprey versus Kushida and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's worth mentioning. I think just to throw it out there. Obviously, we'll probably talk about it on the next episode. But uh, at Wrestling Hinokuni, um, which is in Kumamoto. Um, that is actually on Sunday, April 29th. That is actually when we get um, the the uh, IWGP Tag Team Championship match with Sonata and Evil being challenged by KES. And we also get the Intercontinental Championship match uh, with Suzuki being challenged by Naito. So, um, you know, there's some, some interesting stuff coming up even before we actually get to Don Taku, much less the Road 2 show. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of interesting stuff, I'm going to segue a little bit, unless you have something to say, segue into the next thing we want to talk about, which is a new idea we have on the show. Indeed. Yes, it is. It's nothing too revolutionary, but... (laughs) No, but, you know, everything we do right now is revolutionary for us because we're just starting out. But what we decided to do is each week we're going to each pick a classic match. Now, we, we the first night we, we told each for the first time we told each other what the match is going to be and we watched them. We're going to talk about what we picked in a little bit in the matches, and then from this point on, we're both going to pick a match that the other one doesn't know about till we record. And then anybody who wants to go along with this, you could you have all week to watch the match, and then each, the next episode we'll discuss those matches, and then give our next the next set out. Um, and we actually have a little help on this. We have. Uh, well, let, let's get to the first ones we picked. Yeah, so so we wanted to start off by picking some stuff for, for this week um, just that we could talk about. And, um, you know, why don't we go um, – should we go in chronological order or do, do we want to go with yours first and then kind of talk about some other stuff when we go to my pick because my pick has yeah, some – Yeah, I'll some do mine first stuff. just because of what you're saying. Sweet. Um, and, I'll, you know, I'll just explain – we, and we'll explain why we picked the matches for – you know, and they could be for any reason in the world. Um, the, the match I picked – is from 1994, and if you want to watch it, and, and oh, and another little tidbit is every match we pick is available on New Japan Pro Wrestling World. Yeah. So we won't pick anything that's not available. So this way, anybody who listens to the show and wants to watch, and if you watch the matches, send us your feedback on Twitter. I'm, we'll mention, you know, comments that people give us, their opinions, and we'll mention your name. But, yeah. um So I picked it's from April 16th, 1994. It's the semifinals of the first Super J Cup. Um, and I was torn a little bit because originally I wanted to pick the finals. And uh, the reason I didn't is it's Wild Pegasus is in the match. Yeah. And I, I didn't really want my first pick to be a Chris Benoit match. 
Right. Even though Chris Benoit was my favorite wrestler of all time until what happened happened. But what I did pick was the semifinal match, which is Jushin Thunder Liger versus Great Sasuke. Is that how you say it? Sasuke. Sasuke. Yeah. See, it's one of those Japanese words. And when, and when you're, I was watching it with the Japanese uh, audio, it's hard to pick out what they're saying. Yeah. But Great Sasuke. Um, it's it, now we both watched the match. A great match. Great match. Um, do you have anything you want to like before we get into the match itself? Do you have any reaction to the selection? Uh, I think it's a great selection. I, I love it. I think that it's you know it's it's pretty much a stone cold classic uh, of the junior division, and and it's it's a match that I imagine a lot of you know established fans of New Japan Pro Wrestling are already going to be somewhat familiar with, whether they've seen it or not, uh, well, the or they've heard of it. Yeah, if but, you're a hardcore New Japan fan and you want to go along with this, it gives you a reason to go back and watch a match you maybe haven't seen in years. Which is and some comments that we got we got of that nature, uh, you know, yeah. on on Reddit. And and like you say, but for a newbie, this is this is definitely one of those matches where I feel like you should see this match if you're a New Japan fan. And the and the beautiful thing about it is our dynamic is I'm more of a new fan, and you're more of the the, the hardcore. You know a lot more about the history of New Japan, so we bring both sides of that equation to the table when we pick these matches. Um, the reason I actually got onto this is I was reading um, the first episode I, I mentioned that I was reading the um, Lion's Pride book, The Turbulent History of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Chris Charlton, and, yeah. Yes, and I finished the book. But at different points, it, it talks about, like, I was reading the one chapter was about the juniors. Yeah. And he goes into detail about the 94 Super Jacob. So, you know, and as, what I was doing, I was reading the book on a tablet. Anytime he mentioned a match that, for whatever reason, was important, I would open up a little, I had like a little notepad in the, on the tablet, and I would mark them down. So now I have a whole long list of matches that I want to see. But this was on there. Nice. So um, the match itself is pretty, it, it starts out funny enough, because you would think it'd be all over the place, like a high-flying affair. And it actually starts out with a lot of bat wrestling. Yeah, a lot of I mean, beautiful transitions. Yeah, there's a one point. There's a crazy submission hold that Jushin Thunder Liger has. Yeah. Great, how do you say it again? Sasuke. Sasuke. It's funny Sasuke. because it I'm looks never like get that right. it, it looks like it should be, and it, there's, it, there's got to be a rule that I don't know about because I unfortunately I don't speak Japanese. But it looks like it should be like Sasuke, but it's yeah. but it's but for whatever reason it's Sasuke. So. All right. But the, he has him. It, it's I don't even know how to describe the hold. It's like a reversed chin lock but he has his lower body up like it's almost like a like like a grapevine or something well, I, it, I don't even know it's kind of like he's going for uh uh the romero special that he does and yet he doesn't in, instead of pulling back on the arms he ends up pulling back on his chin and ends up transitioning all the way into like the the sick looking dragon sleeper it's oh it's it's, it's so brutal looking yeah um, and, and the funny thing is there's like, especially in the first half of this match, there's a lot of submission holds applied. Yeah. Like they really had a ground based match, or at least the first half. And a, like it was one sided for most of it where Liger was in control, complete control, but he was going out for submission after submission. It was like a technical ground, ground based match. Yeah. Then it opens up. It does. And not only that, let's talk real quick about the attitude, because first of all, the fans are completely behind Sasuke. Like there's Sasuke chants all drum. night long. Yeah. And Liger is a giant dick in this match. He heals it up like nobody's business. Well, when we get to the finish, he pulls the ultimate heel. Oh, God, it's beautiful. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Then it starts to open up. And, um, well, I mean, one thing that we got to mention is is the uh, 
the kapu kick that uh, that Liger hits, where like it legit looks like he knocks Sasuke out. Now, I mean, I don't, he didn't, but it, it, no, I mean, they Sasuke, make it seem like he did though. Yeah, the ref is checking him. Yeah, he like picks up his head and just drops it to the mat and more like, than three once, or four too. times. Yeah. Yeah, it's intense. It's intense. Um, you know, Liger goes for like a cross-faced chicken wing. You know, he hits a tombstone. Uh, there's a Kimura. There's a cross-arm breaker. He's just relentless, and Sasuke is selling his ass off. He, like, slaps him in the face. I mean, there's just, there's yeah, there's some crazy stuff. But then, like you said, it really starts it to turns. open up. Yeah. And there's a move. Uh, right after it starts, the, the, it's out to the outside, and Sasuke hits this springboard kind of moonsault. Yeah, the outside moonsault. Yeah, off the ropes to the outside. And the, and when he lands, if you watch, like as his momentum takes him backwards, he hits the announce table pretty hard. Yeah, cracks his back right up against it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was going on. And, and the funny thing is we were talking about how long he's been around. But if you watch, because yeah. I believe at the time that he was wrestling, was he wrestling for Michinoko Pro Wrestling? I believe so, yes. Because he's seconded in the match on the outside by Taka Michinoku. That's right. And he looks like a like a teenager. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny to see now, you know. But he, they do that, and they do so many moves. I mean, you, you had a move where uh, Liger was on the outside, but towards, like, outside the corner of the ring. And Sasuke does this where he runs across the ropes, jumps to the top, and does, like, this... I don't even know what you would call it, like a front flip over the uh, to the outside, but he goes over the ring post. Oh, that huge somersault senton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's to the ring post, like right over it. Then when they get him back in the ring, all of a sudden now they, they stop doing the high-flying moves and start doing these power moves. Yeah. Because Sasuke hits him with a pile driver. Then right after it, he power bombs him, and it was a sick-looking power bomb, like he folded him up. Yeah. Then he does like a, a like a spinning tombstone on him. Well, it's great because he hits because at one point he hits like this huge crucifix power bomb on him, and it's and it's just awesome. One thing I want to mention real quick is when they're on before this happens and before he hits that somersault senton when they're on the apron like vying for the the suplex. I just love how Sasuke is like fuck this and just rams him right into the post. Like he just posts him. He's like screw it. And 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 I mean yeah, there's just such great like storytelling as far as who's you know who's going to get the and edge. Remember, they're going full blast on this. This is. Sasuke's second match of the night, and it's Liger's third match. Yeah. So they're, you know, they've already wrestled yeah. matches. Then Liger hits, like, a, like a, like a sit-out power bomb onto him. Yep. So you got that going on. Then he hits, like, I, I don't know, like, I've heard it called different things, but I, I always called it a Frankensteiner, but he hits, like, a Frankensteiner off the top rope. Yep. Then you have Sasuke, as soon as he gets hit with that, though, bounces up and reverses it into a pinfall. Yeah. So then they keep going. Uh, Liger hits this really, really nice release, like like a release German, German suplex. Yeah, and then like he he does another move where he like kind of like hooks his leg and does a brain buster. Yep. So they're going at it. I mean, it's like a, the, the fisherman buster, right? Yeah, he hits a yeah. sick looking fisherman buster. Yeah, uh, they're hitting power move after power move. Then they get to the point where maybe you were talking about where they do the suplex from the outside or from the apron to the outside. Um. No, that was that was from earlier. But there is the suplex from the outside that yes, that, that happens now. But then it doesn't move. Go ahead. I was just saying that earlier in the match, there was that moment when they were sort of like on the inside with one another, uh, trying to trying to suplex each other off the. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Then he hits like what would you call it? Like he goes off the top rope almost like a plancha. Uh, yeah, he's got that wicked sort of like cross body off the top of yeah. the outside. It's and, like a combination. Like yeah, I don't know exactly because it's not a pure cross body the way he turns, but. So this is all going. Now we get to the finish, and obviously Sasuke is supposed to come off the ropes and falls. Yeah, he botches the springboard drop kick. 
and Liger taunts him. Yeah. It's the funniest thing ever. Like, he mocks him and cheer, like claps he him. He claps, he claps. Yeah, he claps for him. What a dick. <laughs> and then right after that, he hits, like, the Frankensteiner and, and for a pin for the win. Sasuke does. Yeah, spikes him right on his dome. Crowd goes crazy for the win. Sasuke basically collapses. Taka's attending to him. I mean, it's just... It's just great stuff. I mean, it's, and then it's later a in the night, just for just for historical sake, and and anybody, if you ever get a chance to go back, that 1994 Super J Cup is stacked. Yeah. With with, I'm, I'm looking up right now. Like I know right off the top of my head, you have Wild Pegasus, who's Chris Benoit's in it. Um, Jushin Thunder Liger, who obviously won what 11 junior titles, yeah. is in it. Um, Dean Malenko, I believe, is in it. You have Black uh, Black Mask who's in it, which is Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, El Samurai's yeah. in it. I mean, there's just so many Hayabusa's in it. I mean, you really look at it, like how they like for their, this tournament was stacked from top to bottom. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a very historic night in, in professional wrestling. Period. I mean, it's not even you know we're not just talking about oh it's historic for New Japan or whatever. I mean, no, this was one of the most historic nights in and, all. And this of professional this was the wrestling. first Super J Cup, and what they did too to open it up, like because I don't know if they had enough juniors themselves to run this whole tournament. They opened it up to people from other organizations. Yeah. Like, you had people from Michinoko Pro Wrestling, um, CMLL was in there. Um, you had you had FMW. You had, I mean, th- there were four champions alone more, that were involved. Um, yeah. You know, you had Liger as the IWGP Ghetto was junior. In, the, in there. You had Sasuke, who was the FMW Independent World Junior Heavyweight. You had Delphin, who was the uh, NWA. You had uh, Motegi, who was the uh, Wing uh, and World Wrestling Council Junior Heavyweight Champion. So, I mean, you had a lot. Uh, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And think about it, how crazy this is. You have this tournament of juniors in 1994. Two of these guys turn eventually become WWE world champions. Yeah. You know, you have one guy who's the most decorated junior champion in New Japan history. Yep. And and that's not even getting to guys like Dean Malenko or Taka Michinuku. Like, it's just... No, it's or Shinjiro Otani or, you know... I Hayabusa. Mean, Ricky like, Fuji, Hayabusa. Yeah, exactly. El Samurai. I Motegi, mean, it's, yeah. El, there's, so many, there's so many guys in there. So if you get a chance... If you haven't watched that match, I, you got to watch it. But I would de- definitely recommend to watch the entirety of the Super J Cup. And the beautiful thing is, once you find them, like you just, you know, you go like the easiest way to find them is to go by decades on the the main screen, and then you click on the '90s, go to '94, and when you scroll down, they're all on the same night. So once you find them, you find all the matches at once. Yeah. Yeah, and we should mention, by the way, that uh, that this was uh, Sasuke went over in 18 minutes and 9 seconds um, after that uh, Frank And then right after that, him. he went another 18.46 and got the pin over while Pegasus. No, no, Pegasus got the pin on him. Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm looking at it the wrong way. Well, I, I should have known that because I saw that match numerous times. But Pegasus gets the match, yeah, the win on Sasuke, and is the winner of the first Super J Cup in 94. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, it's it's a great match, and it, it was the one that I think uh, you know on Reddit, for instance, uh, Legible Toe Seven Six Two, which is such a great name. Um, you know, he uh, he said that he was going to be watching the matches, and that you know he'd been meaning to rewatch Liger and Sasuke anyway. Uh, you know, he loves the match. Um, so uh, you know, um, um, and then Kokaeda uh, also said that you know they love Liger versus Sasuke. Uh, loves the way that the botch actually plays into the finish and the crowd reaction to it is just so fucking good. His words. Um, so I, yeah. I, I mean, it, this this one in particular got a lot of love from the uh, from the crowd out there. And, uh, and we're gonna do this every week. Like now, once that we 
we do Sam's match, we're going to both say what our matches, our next ones are. And then we'll review them, like, or not review them, but go over them next week. We'll post it on Reddit and, and on Twitter and, and stuff. So if you want to get involved, like Sam just said, it's, it's easy. Just comment or send us a tweet. You know, the more interaction we get, the better, because we're not doing this just for ourselves. We want people to watch, rewatch these classic matches. You know, like and like we said, whether you're new to the promotion or you're not, there's always a value in watching these matches. Absolutely. I had so much fun doing this, honestly. I mean, I think that in some ways one of the great things about it, too, is that right now with all the Road 2 shows, like, there's a lot. You're watching a lot of wrestling. You know, mm-hmm. it's, like, it's like in G1, it's the same thing. Like, you're watching a lot of wrestling. And so I, I, I think that the opportunity to be able to just sit down and watch, like, a 20-minute match or whatever is so nice because it's just I'm focused on that one match. And it is like a history history lesson you know you're seeing like we're going to be talking about like classic matches it's not like we're going to go out there and like pick a stinker you know what i mean like no we're going to to try to there's a reason we picked the matches now they're going to be from all over like as you see i picked a match from the mid 90s um without giving anything away sam's match is from the early part of new japan's from the 70s yeah it's 1974 we're going to be all over we're going to have new matches like sometimes it'll be a match that's less than a year old yeah um sometimes it'll be a match from 1973 Right. You know, it's just the way it's going to work out. But we'll get to that in a minute. So why don't we get to what your pick was? Sure. So my pick is the December 15th, 1974 NWF heavyweight title match between Andre the Giant and Antonio Inoki. Um, I picked this match because obviously we're coming off of the premiere of the Andre the Giant documentary on HBO. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to interview Pat LaProd, uh, who was the field producer for that documentary and, um, you know, went to France with the crew, uh, helped to translate the, for the, you know, the crew for the family members and for the bellhop at the hotel. Uh, he was actually in the room where Andre died, um, the interview that I did with him this past Sunday at Shimmer Weekend here in, in uh, Chicago, well, actually in Berwyn, um, you know, it was the first interview that I the, of that kind that I conducted, but it, it was great. He was fantastic. Uh, we'll actually be getting that interview out along with some comments about the Andre documentary as a bonus episode that you should see drop shortly after this one. But I felt it was just very appropriate to choose an Andre match, and also I wanted to go early. I wanted to find something from the early days. And, and just, just to interject, for anybody who doesn't know you were talking about that you know his role in the documentary he also does appear in the documentary he does yes you know he he's credited as a wrestling historian which you know because he's, he's a published author i know he wrote uh what mad dogs midgets and screw jobs which is a lot about what the montreal wrestling scene it's yeah it's um, a pretty comprehensive history of the montreal wrestling scene he also wrote uh the uh biography of mad dog vachon and he also wrote uh sisterhood of the squared circle which is a a wonderful book about women's wrestling uh you know it goes back to the you know pretty much the very beginnings uh you know and, and hits all the major signposts along the way and we'll talk of, about this in the bonus episode but just yeah. for Anybody who might not pick that up, you know, and if you're just hearing this, I, I mean, I know Sam has already said it, and, and I'll say it too, but as a, as a team, we can't thank Pat enough. I mean, he basically took time out of his day to give an interview to guys that realistically at that point had one episode of a podcast out. Yeah. Yeah. You no, know, he, so he was great you know, and, and, you know, left the door open to talking again. So hopefully we'll get the chance to, to do that in the future. Um, so, so yeah, this match, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a completely, I mean, we didn't do this on purpose, but we could not have picked two different matches if we tried. Right. Yeah, Which absolutely. is great. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, the funny thing is we did not discuss 
the matches that we were picking beforehand. We just literally were like, what did you pick? This and the, you know, so it was. Yeah, it was, and in fact, the, the, when, when we're done talking about this, we're going to each reveal our pick for next week. We still, to this point, even recording, have no idea what each other picked. No. No, so yeah, this is how we're going to work this. Talked about it at all. Right. So I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, so, yeah, this match uh, was for the NWF Heavyweight Championship, which was basically the um, the big belt for the early days of New Japan. Uh, it was, of course, held by uh, Inoki. Um, and I think that anyone who knows anything about those early days with these big matches uh, can probably see the finish coming from a mile away, but it's what happens in between the bell ringing that, that honestly is, is just, it's a great example, um, of the way that they told stories in the ring in these early days of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, you know, it's great because Inoki comes out and, and uses his speed to dodge some big attacks because Andre's sort of lumbering around around the ring. I mean, the size difference is incredible. I mean, Inoki is a tall guy uh, for Japan. I mean, he's like six foot three, and you know, and of course, like Andre's he just looks towering like over him. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, but Andre, you know, it's great because Inoki actually gets the first hold, and he's got this grinding headlock on him, uh, and Andre sells the headlock like a million bucks. Um, you know, it's 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 it has an effect, and and that's just so great to see. I mean, so many times you see a guy in a headlock these days, and it's like nothing ever happened to him. You know, headlocks used as as just a rest hold. You know, it doesn't mean anything. But 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 at this you know day and age, it meant something. Um, and you know, Andre is able to come back. He fires off this forearm while Inoki is against the ropes, and the ref starts to give him a hard time, and Andre. Just, like, his voice sounds like this guttural roar uh, is fantastic. I mean, he just comes off as so imposing and so threatening. And I don't know if it was a, if he was selling or what, but the referee generally looked terrified. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. And, you know, knowing knowing what I do know, which I'm not trying to say that I know everything about it or, or, or even, you know, could fill a thimble, but knowing what I do know about the way that Andre was used in those early days in Japan is that he was there was that 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 mystique you know that aura that surrounded him um you, you know he had uh, a translator with him uh, at ringside he had like a, a second with him at ringside he had you know so it was it was almost like who knows it might have been i mean i don't think it was but it might have been the first time the referee ever saw him you know what i mean like you, you, you can't tell because back in those days he was very protected um so there's yeah there's some just some great stuff. Uh, Andre is you know really wrestling uh, early on. Anoki uh, kind of makes him chase him around the ring because he's you know he's trying to look for that opening. Um, and, and for anybody that hasn't seen like if you're depending on your age like I grew up with when Andre the Giant wasn't was a shell of himself by the time he like the WrestleMania era came along to watch Andre in 74 how fast he can move for a man his size yeah like how much and, and how nimble he was not not that he was going to win any ballet contests but he, like for a man his size it was he was a much better athlete than most of us remember him he gets as. he basically gets flipped over like Inoki's shoulder like basically like a full front flip twice in the match and it's like to see that from him is just incredible um and and there's yeah it's a flying mare at one point there's a flying mare uh that Inoki performs and 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 Andre just flips right over for him it's it's kind of incredible um well there's the one point where he he flips him over to get him into the arm bar where and Andre goes flying right over yeah yep that's later in the match but 
Yeah, uh, you know it, it's interesting too because um, Andre is, is clearly like he. So Andre is working the arm. There's a, there's a great arm bar that, um, uh, that that Andre works for a while. And the thing that's interesting about it too is the way that Andre uses his weight and size. It's not just a simple arm bar. He's also leaning on Inoki the whole time, and so all of a sudden this hold that clearly is meant to kind of like target that arm becomes you know, a move that's sapping all of Inoki's energy because now he's got to carry this weight of Andre on his back. It's brilliant. It's just brilliant stuff. Um, and then there's a point where, like, uh, Andre starts kind of healing up while, you know, and, and using the ropes against Inoki. Uh, he, like, jerks the rope up uh, or kicks the rope into Inoki's arm while it's draped over it. And Inoki starts to get fired up. He gets pissed off. He closes his fist, which this is another thing. It's the storytelling is so perfect because when he closes that fist, the crowd pops so big. And the ref immediately is like, no, 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 because a closed fist was illegal. And, and it's like, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that. And, of course, what's Inoki do? But he starts firing firing off with some closed fists, and he's drawing warnings from the ref, but the crowd's eating it up, they're loving that he's, you know, just punching this guy right in the face, and Andre sells it, you know, like it's a punch in the face, which is great. Um, oh, Andre was, I mean, when you watch it, he had no problem selling for Anoki. No, no, no. At all. He made Anoki make look like a million dollars. Well, that's one of the things that Pat and I talked about in that interview, not to give too much away, but Pat was, you know, talking about the fact that, like, we get this, you know, North America, this mystique and this aura built up about Andre being unbeatable and, you know, he's like this machine or whatever, but he did jobs in Toronto and Montreal. He did jobs, you know, in, in, in and, Mexico. He and did, even when you know, he didn't do the job, he was generous to make the other guy get like we would let the other guy get his stuff in exactly. make him look good you know exactly um you know there's there's some again that flying mare that happens is beautiful uh Inoki goes for another one because Andre maintains control but this time Andre is just not having it he like holds the rope to prevent him from doing it um it's it's really great uh, uh again Inoki with like more closed fist he starts getting the kicks in um, it's, you know, uh, Andre goes up and he gets tied up in the ropes, you know, like we, you know, like a lot of fans are probably familiar to seeing when he get tied up in the ropes and he's just hanging there with his arms down and Inoki, oh, loved that. and Inoki just unloads on him with kicks and, you know, it just doesn't give a shit at all. The ref has to pull him away. Uh, they, they finally get him off the ropes. Andre goes like charging in for Inoki. Um, but Inoki moves and then uh, uh, takes him down with this great leg takedown and works into this kind of like bow and arrow hold. And it's great because you were talking about how nimble and flexible Andre is. This is a perfect example of that. I mean, yes, he's the one taking the offensive move, but if Andre wasn't flexible enough, it wouldn't look good. And he's and he's being bent, you know, by, by Inoki. It looks great. Um, there's Yeah, there's just some great stuff. Uh, Inoki works the legs a lot, like gets a leg lock on there. Uh, again, Andre just keeps you know, selling for him. Um, there's some really great stuff. Uh, uh, Andre uh, ends up getting a bear hug, but Inoki uses a closed fist to break it up, and Andre starts complaining to the ref. And, and again, it's just the storytelling overall is so good. And um, the unique thing about this match, just for the record, you, you had it didn't take place in Japan. Oh, yes, yes, it's I'm in, so sorry. It's in, what, Sao Paulo, Brazil? Yeah, it sure is. It's in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, and, and honestly, I tried to find out some of the history behind that, but I couldn't. So I'm not sure what the deal was. I mean, I and, you know, obviously Inoki uh, was yeah, born. Yeah, just his connection to Brazil probably, right? Yeah, 
because he was born in Argentina, so you know he's he's got that connection to, to South America. Uh, it may have just been a way to get New Japan some more exposure. I, I honestly am not 100% sure why it was there. If any listener out there knows, please feel free to, to educate us. Um, but yeah, there's just some more great stuff again. Yeah. You know, Andre finally gets uh, fed up and, and gets like a power move and slams Anoki from the corner when Anoki goes up. Um, uh, top to try to do a splash or something. Uh, and then Andre, though, goes for an elbow drop, but Inoki moves, and now they're both down. And it's really cool. You know, you've got both men down. Uh, there's a lot of drama here. Um, and, and, and Andre eventually gets up and starts working the leg now uh, of Inoki, uh, which is, you know, some, some interesting stuff kind of back and forth. But Inoki gets back up only to get creamed by a couple of brutal headbutts from Andre. Um even like Andre at one point like uses the rope to stand on Inoki. It's it's yeah, it's brilliant. Um, then probably the best. I mean, this leads to the finish, but it's it's just so great. It's wonderful storytelling, great psychology. Andre charges into the corner, misses with his shoulder charge, clearly favoring his shoulder, favoring that arm. Inoki goes right for it. He punches it. He kicks it. He finally locks in an arm lock. He's got him down. It looks like he's going for a cross arm breaker. They're all tied up, and, you know, Inoki is just, like, twisted onto him, um, you know, so perfectly, and he's clearly not letting go. Andre, and this is one of the things where it's like, oh, man, Andre in his prime. And this isn't, you know, I mean, this this is prime Andre. Andre in his prime is something to behold. Because you see this happen these days where, like, oh, this guy's got him in an arm lock or a, a triangle, and the other guy picks the other guy up, but it's always sort of like, oh, wow, is he really going to be able to pick him up? No. Andre basically just stands up with Anoki on his arm. Like, there's, like, hardly any effort it's, at all. He it, just gets out right like up. A, like me and you would have a shopping bag. Yeah. He just, <laughs> yes. okay, and picks him up. That's perfect, the way to describe it. He picks him up. He's trying to throw him off. He tries to throw him over the top rope. They both flip over the top rope to the floor. And that, of course, brings us to our double count-out finish, um, which, again... Which, which made sense. They're going to protect both people. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, you know, it didn't make sense at this point for Andre to drop the fall. It, it Clearly, you know, Noki's not going to lose because he's not going to lose the belt. Um, it's good stuff. You know, Andre's angry outside. Inoki, it's funny, uh, right as the count hits the count, and I think they were doing a 10 count at this point, then we're doing 20 counts. Right as the 10 count hits, Inoki rolls back into the ring. Like, it's definitely a double count out. It's not like he rolls in and there's controversy. It's definitely a double count out. But as soon as the count happens, he rolls back in the ring, almost as if to say, like, I almost did it, uh, which is classic Inoki. Um, And then, you know, they kind of square off in the ring a little bit. They're clearly angry and pissed off, but officials kind of keep them separated. Yeah, Um, they calm Andre down, and then they, you know, they go their separate ways, but... So, but yeah, that's, I mean, there we go. There were our classic picks. Yeah. What did you now, think of the match overall, by the way? Because I kind of did most of the oh, talking Oh, I liked there. it. Yeah. I like. No, well, it was your match. I, you know, chimed in when necessary. <laughs> oh, no, I enjoyed it because it was like one of the very few times that I've ever seen Andre in his prime. Yeah. So to see that, and especially in the context, like, it was nice to ever just watch the documentary and, and knowing that we had, the, that you had gotten the interview with Pat. So the whole thing tied together nicely and it was nice to watch. Man, I'm, so, I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah, I liked it. I thought I thought it was really good storytelling, and there was some so, nice stuff in there. Let's reveal our picks for next week. All right. Now we have a guest picker this week. We do. It's Wilford we have from two the, actually. Yeah, Wilford from the New Japan uh, U.S. blog. Yep. And you want me to just say his pick? 
Yeah, go for it. Okay. He picked Okada versus Shibata from Sakura Genesis last year. Yeah. Which is it's a, it's a uh, very oh. recent pick, but it's an important match. I mean, basically, it ended Shibata's career. Yeah. Um, you know, he got his moment, and he tried to make the most of it. And so that's definitely worth watching. Now, what do you got, Sam? So uh, I ended up, just in the interest of, because um, you've got another pick just for yourself, right? Yeah. So in the interest of keeping us to, to no more than three picks, I actually deferred my pick because um, we had um, Stephen Rice, I believe, on Reddit uh, give a suggestion, and I really liked it. Um, and uh, I decided that we would go with that. So for my pick, I'm going to go ahead and use Steven's pick. Thank you very much, Steven. Um, he decided to go with Okada versus Marufuji from King of Pro Wrestling in 2016. Um, he even says, It's a recent bout, but I consider it my favorite match of all time. The clash between Noah and New Japan Pro Wrestling alongside the history between Marufuji and Okada um, gives it a really nice build. Uh, I'm going to save the rest of his comments for next time when we actually review the match, but um, I decided you know, I, I love I love it when the fans are interacting with us. Uh, you know, oh yeah, that's or, or what it's all about. Opinions. So, um, you know, because we're all fans of this product, and, and when we get that and fan dialogue, if you want to like, and if you want to watch along, if you're a fan of Okada, you're in luck. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, and so, I love Maro Fuji. I even responded back to him. Like, I was a huge Noah fan because I, 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 like, again, Japanese wrestling in general, pro, you know, in general for me, uh, you know, was it, it was New Japan at first, and then I got into All Japan, and then um, I was really primed for that split when Noah formed. And so I watched a lot of early Noah stuff, and that was when, like, Kenta and Maro Fuji were really starting to slowly be built. Um, and I missed some of the Maro Fuji stuff, especially some of the more recent stuff. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to... Okay. Take a look at this one again because I've not seen it. I think since uh, you know since 2016. Yeah. Now my pick, and I didn't plan on going with another match of uh, of juniors, but I was looking at the schedule coming up, and the best of the super juniors are going to be starting next month. Yeah. So that got me thinking. So I picked from June 5th, 1997, the finals of the best of the super junior cup from that year, and it's El Samurai versus Koji Kenmato. Ah, yes. Nice. So that's where I decided to go, which I'm kind of glad in a way that I went with a little bit older match than the way the others two played out. The other two played out. But um, so if you want to go along with this, that's your homework assignment for the week <laughs> to watch El Samurai versus Koji Kinmoto, Okada versus Marafuji, and Okada versus Shibata. Um, the Marafuji matches from King of Pro Wrestling 2016, and the Shibata matches from Sakura Genesis of last year. So that's the classic matches. And before we end, though, we definitely did get um, a question sent to us. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, and we'll keep this brief because we're over the two and a half hour mark now as it is. Yeah. But we got a question. It's from J.W. Thompson, who's uh, JWT6577 on Twitter. And he put, "Let me. Um, who do you think will face Okada at Dominion? I've been thinking it's going to be Kota Ibushi and Okada beats him, and it'll kick off a line of dominoes that eventually leads to Okada versus Naito for the title and Kenny versus Kota Ibushi at the Dome. So basically he wants to know who we think Okada's going to face at Dominion. You got any idea? So... And Sam hasn't seen this question. I think that that is... ah, Man, I, I think that that's a good... It's a very plausible course, without a doubt. Um, I, I, I think that we are, whether it ends up being for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, I do think that we are on a course for Omega, uh, Ibushi, 
at the dome. Um, you know, I could see, I also think that there is a very, very good chance. Um, and, and, and there are a lot of people that think this, but there are a lot of people that don't think this, that we could end up seeing Omega versus Okada at the next, um, Long Beach event. Uh, here in the United States for the title. And a lot of people see Omega taking the, the, the title The Long Beach there. event or the one in the Cow Palace? Excuse me, the one in the Cow Palace in San Francisco. My, my, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, we're just so used to the Long Beach. Uh, yeah. You know. um, so uh, whether that's what happens or not, I don't know. Uh, I, I do think, though, that there's a lot of validity to Okada winning the G1 this year. Um, and I think he wins it whether he has the belt or not. Uh, frankly, um, I think if they're going to pull the trigger on Omega winning that title, I, I do kind of think that it, it, it's kind of the right time to do it. Um, you know, they've kept them separated. They've cooled them off enough. Um, so I think that again, it does. I, I mean, JW's got a great point because it provides a very plausible course for you've got Kota Abushi against Okada for the belt. Okada retains, and then you know you've got Okada dropping the title to Omega. You've got the friction between Okada and Abushi building because Abushi, you know, says you know Omega says I beat him. You know, you know you couldn't. It's a, whatever. However, the friction starts and you know it happens. Uh, you know, maybe but, even. But he doesn't have that. He has the way he has it like planned out is Okada still has the belt at Wrestle Kingdom because he has Naito wrestling Okada for the belt yeah, right. and Kenny wrestling Kota Ibushi on the, like the semi-main. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't think we're going to see Okada Naito again uh, to headlight the Dome. I, 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 just, I, I don't think that that's where we're headed. Here, here's my, my problem with the whole Dominion setup, and I, I'm not sure where we're going to go with this. If you look at a lot of the people that would make sense, they're engaged in other stories. Like, I don't see Naito versus Okada at Dominion because I think it's going to be Naito versus Suzuki. Yeah. Right? I don't know if they're going to put Omega or Ibushi because I have a feeling they're going to tag together at Dominion. I could be wrong because I don't think they're going to separate them or break them up until at least G1. Because I still think there's a very good possibility we could see the finals of the G1 be Omega versus Ibushi. It could be a situation where then they're forced into a match. Um, this is where, you know, if he's working the crowd and working the trolls, is there any chance we get Okada versus Jericho at Dominion? I know it sounds a little far-fetched, and it probably is, but if you're going to bring Jericho back, it's going to be for a big, big show. I mean, their second biggest show of the year, basically, is is Dominion. You know, and you never know what Jericho is. He could be... I, think I, I agree, and I think if Jericho comes back, I think the scenario that's more likely is that he ends up interfering in the Naito Suzuki match um, to to get the payoff on the Naito Jericho stuff that was set up early on. Um, so I, I I see Jericho if Jericho comes back and takes on anyone, it's Naito. I agree, but I'm just trying to throw out a scenario that could, sure. pos- like, you know. But okay, let's just say Jericho doesn't come back. Then who's the most likely person to wrestle against Okada at Dominion? Don't worry about the rest of the story. Where do we get at Dominion? <laughs> because it, 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 we both agree it's not going to be Naito because he's going to be wrestling Suzuki, correct? I mean, does he have a rematch with Tanahashi? Man, I don't know. Because I have a feeling, and I could be wrong, but if if if, if Okada is going to lose the belt anytime soon, I think it's at Dominion. 
And the reason being is he would have broken the record for the most title defenses, correct? Yeah. By that point. Yeah. The only record he would have left is title reigns. Yeah. So it would make sense if you want to have him give him all the record. Now you got to get the belt off of him so he can win it back. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could see him losing the belt to like an Omega at some point, maybe at the, the U.S. show, and then beating Omega for the belt at the Dome or some scenario like that. But it, it, it gets kind of confusing as to who he would wrestle Dominion. Because if it's not Naito and it's not Suzuki, and if they don't break up the Golden Lovers, like I don't mean break them up, but if they put them in a match together, who, who does that leave that can fill that spot for Dominion? Because it's not like a, like a, a smaller pay-per-view show where you could put a Zack Sabre in there or you could put somebody else. I mean, it's got to be a big name if it's headlining Dominion, correct? Yeah, you would think so. I, I, man... I mean, the speculation gets so hard, which is one of the things that makes New Japan so freaking great, is because it's so logical, everything makes so much sense, but sometimes it's very difficult to kind of see what the writing on the wall is. And I, I, I would say for Dominion... And credit to J.W. Thompson, by the way. That was an excellent question. Oh, yeah, The first, the first sure. time we do a question from the fans, and this is the one we get tossed at us. Right. I, you know, yeah. I, I mean, there's something about... Okay, look, so we know for last year, obviously, at Dominion, it was Okada and Omega. Um, you know, before that we had Okada and Haito, before that we had Okada and AJ Styles. Um, you know, I, I mean, clearly Okada has been headlining in, and, you know, the funny thing is, of course, he wasn't even champion, um, in those first two that I, that I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, AJ Styles was champ and Naito was champ. Um, you know, it'll basically be what, like his two year anniversary at Dominion almost of holding the title. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I believe. Yeah, because he because he won it from Naito in, in sixteen. Yeah, in, yeah. In without looking it up off the top of my head, I think it would be two years. So, well, that makes sense too because he's well over five hundred days. So it's got to be right in that time frame. The weird part about it is, if Naito doesn't beat Suzuki for the Intercontinental Title, how does he become a legitimate contender to Okada? When he has to win the G1. Exactly. And that's the only real way, right? Right. So he's clearly not going to face him at Dominion. So I I think we can take Naito out of the equation completely because I think Naito is either going to win the Intercontinental title or he's going to get another setback and have to kind of rebuild himself. Um, You know, not not in the same way, obviously. No, I know what you mean. A couple years ago. But anyway. um, It's weird. Then the only plausible answer has to be either Omega or Ibushi, correct? Right. Or a rematch against Tanahashi. And the only reason you do a rematch against Tanahashi if is if Tanahashi loses. beats him, yeah. And I don't see him losing. I don't see, think they get him all the way here to not break the record. No, I think, yeah, I think he breaks the record. So let's just say that that pretty much eliminates Naito and Tanahashi. We're still just getting circled back around to Omega and Ibushi again, correct? And I think you got to go with Ibushi. I think you got to go with Ibushi because why do Omega at Dominion when you can pop the U.S. crowd at the Cow Palace if you do Omega Okada in the main event for the heavyweight championship? Yeah, there's there's a bunch of scenarios. Um, I don't know. It's just an excellent question, and we're going to have to wait and see where it goes. But I will say this, that Okada did say in an interview, um, you know, when he was here, um, last for for strong style evolved that he wanted he wanted Omega in the Cow Palace, um, so I, again I think it's the perfect time to do it. Um, well, that makes sense if you're going to do that. Then you put you put a Bushi in the match at Dominion. You have a Bushi lose 
to Okada. Yeah. Then if you're going to have Omega go over and take the belt finally, he takes it there. Right. That leads to the friction between them because Kenny could beat Kenny beat Okada and Abushi couldn't. Especially if, especially if during the G1 you have Abushi beat Omega. Like yeah. if you have if you have Abushi pin Omega, um, you know, as champion in yeah. What if G1? Omega wins? Mm-hmm. What Omega wins at the, um, the Cow Palace show? Yeah. Now we get to the finals of the G1, and let's just say it's Abushi versus Omega. Sure. And Abushi wins. And Omega plays it off. He's happy for him that he, you know, and blah, 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 and then turns on him. Sure. I mean, there's so many different ways, but you I guess what? the bottom line is we're going to. Well, there's one other factor here, and I know it's crazy because it's not a New Japan show, but there is one other factor that's worth mentioning, and that's All In. And the reason why I say that is because All In is September 1st. So between now and September 1st, we've got Dominion and we've got the G1. So we could very well have a new champion and we'll have a G1 winner. And who knows who's going to end up being all, who who all will be on All In. And who's going to be champion. Now, I don't think we're going to get an IWGP title match at All In by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think because it's being built around kind of the Bullet Club and the way that everything's been happening between the Bullet Club right now, I do think we've got a unique opportunity for storytelling extension into All In, which then takes us... uh, Well, if they're smart, I mean, let's face it, All In could drive up a bunch of publicity for New Japan and new fans here, and they can use that as a springboard to start building up for Wrestle Kingdom. Right. You know, we'll see what happens. Because the next next event that we're going to have after that would then be Destruction, which then leads us into King of Pro Wrestling. And then Um, Power Struggle, right? Yeah. So... I'm going to say then, (coughs) if it's not one of those two guys, I guess the only logical choice left is Bowen Soldier. There's no reason to bring him back unless he's going to win the title. I think you're absolutely right about that. I think it's a perfect way to close the show. I agree. Uh, All right. Well, we just want to thank everyone so much. Uh, We've been feeling the love. We really appreciate it. Um, You know, this just started off as something that that, that Paul said, hey, let's do this. And I said, are you sure? And then, you know, we started doing it, and you guys have been great. So we really are grateful for all of our listeners. Yeah, keep the, uh, the tweets coming, the comments. Reach out to us if there's anything you want to like. Hey, you want to pick a match for the classic? I'll gladly give us give up my spot. Yeah, and w- you know we could pick three a week. It could be three fans picks. For you know, sure. if you want to ask a question, we'll, we'll do our best to answer. It. Not that we're experts, but it's just our take on it. So, Absolutely. You know, anything you want to see, just let us know. Yeah, we appreciate you sticking with us. We know this has been a long episode, but we had a hell of a lot of ground to cover. Uh, we'll also get that bonus episode out to you next week's episode. Will probably be. Uh, a bit shorter than this one. Um, so, again, thanks for sticking with us. And, uh, again, follow us on Twitter. Um, hit that uh, subscribe button on iTunes. Give us a review. We and, really and appreciate it. Not only that, if you know people, you know somebody who you think would like the show, recommend it to them. You know, that's a lot of times that's how I got in, uh, like, found podcasts for different things I liked with somebody had a had a similar interest, recommended it. So don't be afraid to, to tell your friends, kids. That's right. Tell five friends. And then they'll tie yep. five friends, and then they'll tie five friends, and before you know it, we'll have a world we'll have of a community. New Japan love. Uh, yep. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. We're going to call the night. Uh, we really appreciate you, though, and we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody.